comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. On this episode, I have a free-form conversation with Joy Alicio of the Chemical Box Podcast as we discuss so many random things. You know what? It would take me forever just to describe all the randomness that happens in this episode. This was actually a very fun conversation, and I wanted to make sure that this got into people's ears before it was too late. So that's why you got two back-to-back PKD black box episodes back-to-back. We'll go back to a bi-weekly schedule starting next week. You'll get a Tales from the Attic at the beginning of October, followed by another PKD black box. It should be myself along with Julian Lydon and Taylor Pithers talking hip-hop. And pop culture, uh, followed by another Tales from the Attic. And if I can get my shit together, we will have an episode on the 24th dealing with the DC Comics uh, miniseries called Legends that took place back in the late 80s, uh, as drawn by John Byrne with inks by Carl Kiesel and written by Lynn Wein and John Ostrander. I can't tell you the special guests that are going to be joining me on that episode just yet because I'm trying to get everything planned and worked out so I can make this happen and get this into the editing bay. Followed by that, we'll have our PKD Black Box Movie Month um, like we did last year. Uh, normally, that would that have been earlier this year, but due to scheduling and whatnot, I had to push it back to November and then some freeform episodes in December. So we're getting it all worked out. We're going to have some fun. I want you to enjoy this episode. It's a real good time. And like I said, this episode goes everywhere. So just prepare yourself and enjoy. Until then, peace. This is dubbed the real talk episode. Then, um, well, like I said, I'm I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be able. But Julian only exclusively held that title. <laughs> oh no, there's only yeah, there's only one episode called Real Talk. Because <laughs> like Sean was upset that day. Remember that music video, the R. Kelly one. Which one? Real Talk. It's the greatest music video ever made, possibly. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to look that up. It, oh, it's so fucking nuts! It's like that song is. Fu- you heard the song, right? Well, how long ago was that? 2007 no it's been a while you gotta my friends just just watch this video over and over again and just laugh it was like it's just it's him in like a studio in his house just walking around like looking at the camera and he's like talking on the phone he's like he's like he's just him yelling at his girlfriend or wife the whole song and then the middle is just like real talk and that's the whole chorus (laughs) real talk and that's it that's all the song is and then, but they, they show like towards the end, like he's um he's just in a studio and he's like talking and like I don't know I I really threw some deep analytical fucking uh you know you know analysis on this video because I really probably looked way too deep as I tend to do in rap videos um but there's a part of the end of the song I guess where he finds out who the who the who his girlfriend or wife's been cheating with and I think he just starts yelling Milton and starts pushing some guy in the studio. And I always assumed that oh that must mean that that's the guy right mm-hmm. like this whole 
what's you know what's it's about the video is he's been sitting you're talking to his boys trying to say the real talk but the guy has been the one fucking him over the whole time and he like i, I went to this like really deep analysis of this video but probably wasn't deserved but i still think it's a hilarious video i just love the end milton and he's like yelling at him it's hilarious <laughs> i will check this out Real that time. was like when R. Kelly was trying to come back again after the fucking doo-doo and pee-pee incidents of the uh, of the mid-2000s. And like he's like, I'm trying to reinvent himself totally street. Oh, dude, he had yeah. already did that. He had that whole in-the-closet, uh, you know, uh, trapped This is around closet. that same time. This yeah. was around that same because that was in-the-closet thing was 2006, I think. Right? Or 2005? Dude, dude in, trapped in the closet went on for years. Be R. Kelly is maybe one of the greatest... Uh, like people always talk about like Kanye West that way that he's like not in on the joke that he's making, but I think Kanye West makes enough good stuff where I can excuse that, and I think he, I think he's more in the joke in on the joke than people think he is. But R. Kelly is not in the joke at all. He doesn't understand that people are laughing at like ninety percent of the time. Uh, no, when I, I knew R. Kelly, I knew I knew R. Kelly after he made I believe I can fly. That's I thought was the funniest was when he when he first I guess was that that chocolate factory thing right that's the first when he was like well now I'm hip hop oh no 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 go back and listen to the double CDR album I believe I can fly came out way like came out before on space Space Jam soundtrack right which is actually still to this day a nice soundtrack oh hit them high man yeah man hey hey the monsters the all stars was LL they never put out another song. No. <laughs> it was nice. Cause, cause <laughs> Warner, that's how great that song was. They be, never needed to follow it up. Because Warner Brothers spent all that money on 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 Meth, Method Man, LL, Be Real, and Coolio on one track together. I mentioned in Coolio. You could probably get Coolio to do that for free nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> like I get to be on a track with who? Like back in the day, though, he was the one they probably paid the most money for. Hey, hey. Hot hand, hot hand, run it, run it, run it. They, hot hand. Not only that, they got a, a, another Coolio track on there too. The winner, the I winner, believe. yeah, yes, yes. And Salt and Pepper was on that soundtrack. And Jay Z, Jay Z was on there. G, oh, Changing Faces, Jay Z rhymed on a, on a Changing Faces song. I, yeah. remember, I remember. wasn't even. He wasn't even like that. Was like one of his first, uh, you know, like most mainstream thing because like, Reasonable Doubt only like just came out. I think. Right? right. That was after Reasonable Doubt, and this was right before he was about to sign with Def Jam for In My Lifetime Volume One. The Seal was on that album, sang a cover of a Fly Like an Eagle. Dude, like they did a remake of Basketball Jones with Bismarck Key and yes. Chris Rock. <laughs> that soundtrack is fucking crazy. I love that soundtrack, dude. They're like. I miss that like '90s excessive like you know fucking they're just, they're just fucking throwing money everywhere for a fucking the Space Jam soundtrack like they're they're fucking there's drug money was going around the Space Jam <laughs> fucking soundtrack yo they didn't care they're like get everybody to talk about bitches money whatever we yo, don't give a fuck but you know what this movie's gonna make <laughs> yes but you see but that was the whole thing it's like they brought all the big acts to a soundtrack in the 90s 90s r&b and hip-hop soundtracks were all fucking amazing no no b-side nothing that was all original stuff made for the soundtrack yes and that's what i loved and and that's what i loved about like a lot of those 90s soundtracks because i have a lot of them in you know in my catalog and i just go back and look i'm like damn how do they get all these people you can't do this nowadays no, like, but the, mo the movie was like that too though 
It's like we're gonna get, we're gonna make a fucking like I don't. That was a really expensive. It had to be a really expensive movie at the time. It's like because we're gonna get Michael Jordan. We're gonna make people want to see him act. (laughs) (laughs) Like that was. And we're gonna throw Looney Tunes in there too. And like, and we're gonna get Bill Murray to make a cameo. And like, it was crazy. And we're gonna get Mobius to fucking design the movie. No, no. Better yet, we're gonna start making the movie. Jordan's going to leave the movie. We're going to come back a year from now and finish this shit and still make money. Who does that nowadays? I saw that like three times, and I was old enough, I was old enough to know the difference between a good and a bad movie. I still saw it three times. <laughs> oh, shit. <clears throat> I ain't mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not because... Oh, you kidding. You fucking... You know you watch that like fuck, over and over. Dude, listen... I, when when movie theaters, because I don't know what it's like in New York now, but it used to be that when um, on Friday nights, Friday nights and Saturday nights, movie showings went up to midnight. So there would be a midnight show. Like, you know, fr- Friday night you go to the movies, you have 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and you got the movie theater at 2 o'clock in the morning. But they were making money hand over fist, so Fridays and Saturdays you'd have that late show. So me and my, you know, me and my friend Chris... We go see Space Jam at midnight. It's fucking packed. And normally when we go to a midnight, a midnight show on a Friday night, it's normally not that packed. It was packed. Kids, adults, grandparents, all to go see Michael Jordan and some cartoons fight up against the you know, Battle of the Monsters. And Bill Murray show up and, 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 and uh, Newman from Seinfeld shows up. And, yo, I, like I said, I enjoyed it. I have... I have not watched that movie since. I'm, I'm deathly afraid to revisit. I so guess. I'm, I'm like, Teresa Randall played Jordan's wife in the movie. You know, I'm like, what? What is? What is Martin Lawrence's wife from Bad Boys doing in this? You know what I mean? But the thing is, soundtrack still, I still got it. I still love oh, it. I think I'm better. You said Biz Marquee, Chris Rock. They paid for Barry White to sing with Chris Rock. Oh, yeah, that is true. Well, you could tell they ran out of money towards the end of the soundtrack because then the Spin Doctors show up. Yeah, we skipped that track. We skipped <laughs> that track. But no, 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 no. Dude, Bugs Bunny raps in the songs called You're Buggin'. Jay-Z Ghost wrote that song. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. So, because, like, Julian told me that. He was like, yo, Jay-Z wrote that. He, he ghost wrote that song. So now I went back, like, it was like six months ago. I went back and I listened to it, and I'm like... I'm, I'm just listening to, like, the flow. I'm like, yeah, that does sound like Jay-Z at that period of time. They just tweaked it a bit. I'm like, hot damn. So, this, no. I, hope he got, well, I hope he had. I hope he didn't get one of those ghost wrote deals where, like, he gets no residual. Because that soundtrack sold a lot. He's probably living off the fucking, like, he, the reason he's a, million, a billionaire is because of this Space Jam soundtrack. <laughs> You know how many goddamn copies are sold of this thing? Yo, like, that... everybody I know had that. Dude. Like, every kid in school had the space. Even kids like, I hate black people. He had the fucking Space Jam soundtrack. <laughs> I, that, that had to go multi-platinum. That had to go this multi This was changing people's... They were like, fuck, it was bringing communities together. Like, hey, these blacks ain't so bad. They gave us Space Jam. It's like, people are like, hey, you know, they're just like us. You know, like, it, it, I guarantee... This broke this brought this broke down more racial barriers than maybe anything else in the nineties. White people singing in church. If I hit them high, hit them high, hit them high. <laughs> you hit them low, hit them low, hit them low. <laughs> but like, think about that though. The money. 
They still play I Believe I Can Fly all the time. Yes. Every time fucking someone's on a re- uh, fucking singing show, fuck if you're if they're black and they want to win, they'll sing I Believe I Can Fly. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> and I get so mad. And well, did you watch? Did you watch The Voice this year? I I quit. I quit. I. Well, the, but what's so funny is the guy. The, the guy like there was there was um a black dude who only sang '80s rock songs the whole competition, and he always would come in like he just was on a like a particularly bad team, so he was the best of the bad team, so he made it all the way to the finale. And he not is a bad singer, but like he just never like like he you know wasn't a great performer. You know what I mean? Like the voice is technically good, but he couldn't really perform that well, and. And then in the finale, he performs "I Believe I Could Fly" in a total fucking like like church choir and everything. Wins the competition. Guy came in last the whole show. <laughs> Won the competition. Mm. Okay. I tell you, that song is magic, man. Yeah, that is magic. That that is magic. No, okay. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I, I pulled up the information on the Space Jam soundtrack, which was recorded in 1996. It went double platinum less than two months after its release in January '97. The soundtrack in 2001, the soundtrack was certified six times platinum. They still sell it for nine sixty-eight, brand new on Amazon. That's a pretty big deal. Yes, that means people still buy it. Yes, yes. That means people we're still buying the physical CD of Space Jam in 2012. Yeah, I, I put it to you like this, like, because I forgot that, okay, Basketball Jones was Chris Rock and Barry White. That's the way I like it was the Spin Doctors featuring Biz Marquee. That's how it worked out. Okay. Um, but still, I still refuse to listen to the Spin Doctor song. Refuse. <laughs> Re- absolutely refuse. But, um... Well, you got, I, I feel good at least, you know, like, they weren't making any money at that point. Like, it's like, like they played for, at my school, my high school, for free the other year. Oh, my. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, like, they're probably thankful. Like, thank you, man. Like, they threw them a bone, because no one was talking about Spin Doctors anymore in 96. Right? And, and we... Had their, had their Beethoven movie money, that was it. They weren't getting any more. And we forgot... So, like, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, continue. I did everything else. Oh, okay. <laughs> I forgot that in the Hit 'em High, the Monstars anthem, Buster Rhymes was Buster Rhymes was the anchor. He closed it out. I forgot about that because Buster. That was nuts. I couldn't. That was a five. Like fucking. That must have fucking blown people's minds. Because you know, a bunch of parents bought their kids this shit, not knowing what the fuck was on it, and they get to that Buster Rhymes. They probably had nightmares. <laughs> I couldn't even I couldn't even understand what the fuck he was saying the first couple of times I heard it. It was like ah, he was just fucking nuts. Yo, but but Bus was that anchor. Oh, if if you had a posse cut, he was the anchor, and, and you know during during the nineties, um, Monica was on this album. Quasi DJs was on this album. I, I, the Quasi DJs, a very underrated uh, group. Yes. But remember the opening of Space Jam. You know how much money they probably spent on that NBA footage. <coughs> Lots. <laughs> They threw the fucking the Quasi DJs were huge. That fucking song about the train or whatever that was fucking huge. And like we're gonna make a original song. We want you to write about Space Jam. It literally, literally wrote a song called Space Jam, and they put it <laughs> they put it over the opening credits. All this fucking expensive footage. And it was a long fucking open, like five minutes of footage. I think mm-hmm. long opening too. They played the whole song. I think it was like fucking crazy. Oh God, this 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 is crazy. I mean, you you gotta look at it, man. Like they that album, they put out five singles, five. I think they probably put out more. Like the last one didn't hit. No, no, no. Probably right, but like five are listed. 
for you i will by monica which was like yeah uh, that was huge too i forgot oh, that, that. Yo, that was massively huge um, launch career what you say wasn't that like one of her first like big hits um that was one of her first she had big- the because she never had as many like big hits as Brandy, and then they did that album, the song together, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like ninety, right? I yeah, think. something, something like that. But see, but like for you, I will was right before her second album called "The Boy Is Mine" was about to come out, and and if if I remember that right, yeah. But this was song was a big hit. This was the one that got crossover appeal because her first album did very well on the you know on the R and B charts, but you know it kind of had minor crossover appeal, but not a lot. Whereas her second album had crossover appeal. But it also had R&B stuff. D'Angelo put a shirt on so he could sing for kids. Yep, D'Angelo was on the album. <laughs> but like all the singles were top fifty, were like top fifty singles that got released in the U.S. For you, I will by Monica. I believe I can fly by R. Kelly. Space Jam by Quad City DJs. Hit 'em high um, by you know Be Real, Busta Rhymes, Coolio, LL Cool J, and Method Man. Coolio had the fucking first verse on that song, or did he? He did because it was Coolio, and then I think no, 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 be, no, be real had the first verse. Oh, be real had the verse for still. It's still great. Be real, yeah. Then it, it was, was Coolio. Coolio, LL, LL, I think Method Man, then Buster on. I think it got progressively more aggressive. I think as it went along. I think still Coolio came in early. That's how popular he was. He came in early. Um, well, be real, be real was kind of see. It's funny because at the time, I think be real probably seemed more like a more threatening thing. But now, like Cypress Hill, every fucking white kid loves Cypress Hill. Yeah. Now it is, you know. But I'm just saying, at the time, I think he was he had that like Latino, like the way he taught, like. And then I think you needed Coolio to like calm everybody down a little bit because it was like, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. He had that too hot song, and like you know, it's like they know if people knew, it's like okay, Coolio, you know, he's in this. I can I can get down with this. And then you know, LL comes on like. It was actually really well sequenced. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It, well, it was uh, it was produced by uh, the Trackmasters, Poke and Tone, who were also big at that period in time too. Um, and the fifth single was uh, Seals Fly Like an Eagle, which was Steve Miller Band. Okay. Yeah. Not they also had um fucking um Robin is on this. Oh, Robin S. Robin S. Yeah, but yes. she she's the same Robin now that like fucking is amazing and does you know dancing with my uh, whatever. Um, no, 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 no. You're getting it twisted. You're thinking of Robin R O B Y N. Um, that's the Robin you're thinking of. You're the one you're thinking of that song. Show, she had a song called "Show Me Love," but Robin S was a, was a black woman that had a, also had a song. Her hit song was a club club song called "Show Me Love." So you, like, you know, so they're, they're two different ones, and they're on the same record label. Apparently, that must have been confusing <laughs> at, at that period of time. Yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But we have talked about the Space Jam soundtrack. I think for like 15 minutes. What did that all come out of a racist joke I made? I think so. <laughs> That's the power of Space Jam, man. I'm yes. telling you. It brought communities together. I mean, how many people bought the PlayStation Space Jam game? We. Used- I think I, I bought it, I played a level, and I don't think I ever touched it again. But I did buy it, so I guess that's, you know... You know, I remember I used to work for CompUSA, and this was right when the fir- PlayStation first came out, and they would have a console out, and you could play games. They put Space Jam in there, and I said, this, is, this will be the only place where I'll play it. I will not pay for this game because it was – it's one of those games where you know it's bad, but you have so much fun playing it, but you feel ashamed if you paid the forty nine ninety nine for it. So it's like, I'll just play it here. Oh, oh one more Space Jam thing, because like, you did mention the bugging track. Yes. Yeah. Sean Carter did write the lyrics. Yes. And the music was by J- famous, now famous composer James Newton Howard. Really now? 
and Billy West. Uh, you know, uh, voice extraordinaire doing Bugs Bunny. That's an all-star track, if I do say so myself. Yes, I might have to listen to it before I go to bed tonight. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if, if he's lyrics on that, means yeah, he made a lot of money off that bugging track, uh, yes. Jesus. Yes, <laughs> he was able to start his own uh, vodka company uh, <laughs> with, with, with you know with this uh, with, you know ghostwriting bugging because you know during that period of time these cats was getting mad loot from these labels. I think like Jay Z's still ghostwriting like Yo Gabba Gabba songs and shit and like not saying anything. <laughs> Are you serious? No, I'm just I'm throwing it out there. Okay. Maybe he's got a secret ghost right. Like he, he's like, our people found out about bugging. He's like, all right, well that's okay. It's I'm on the soundtrack and other places. It's it's it, you know early in my career, but he's like, you know, what? I actually really like. Guess there's real passion. Like he doesn't like rapping that much. He likes writing the fucking songs for kids. Like that's really his passion. He keeps it a secret. That's why he's making so much money. No, see, he said it best on on the. Uh... Jay-Z, Volume 2, Hard Knock Life. S. Carter, Ghost Rider. And for the right price, I can even make your shit tighter. <laughs> <laughs> and he's probably just sitting home at the crib, like, writing some stuff. Oh, let me send this out here. Let me send this out to here. Let me send this out to Oh, this, one, this one's for me. This is for me. Well, as, as Gene always reminds me, he says, like, you know, he wrote a lot of Dre's stuff on the 2001, I think, right? Really? One of those. Yeah, like he ghost wrote it. That's like, like really ghost wrote it. Isn't like, there's no evidence that he, you know, he really wrote it. But because I'm always like, oh, I really like, because I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Gene has some pro- like He says like, like Dre's not that great a rapper. Like he's a great producer, but like he's not, like if, you know, like his, his actual rhymes are not that great. I don't know if I agree with that. I'll disagree with that. The Sometimes some of the best rappers may not have the strongest lyrical content, but if their voice has a resonance well, I think to he it? has a, he has a presence and his beats are the best right. so to me like that makes up for like man, i don't i don't notice it i guess maybe i don't know i haven't sat down and like analyzed everything he says but maybe he's right i don't know i still again like, i think the other two make up for it then yeah no you can you can have great lines if your fucking voice doesn't sound that great no one's gonna care exactly if you sound like urkel and, and you got rhymes like notorious. Yeah, one novelty movie. single, but that'll be it. Yeah, that's not going to hit. You know, it, it's it's not. It's not going to work out. Dre's voice. You hear that voice? It has a resonance behind it. You know what I mean? You that know? always makes me laugh, though. People are like, "Oh, the last good thing he did was the Chronic." Yeah, if your last fucking thing you did that was good was the fucking Chronic, I think you can get away with throwing out a couple of like, yeah, I got it. You didn't make the fucking Chronic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. How many people can say they made that? You know, like to me, I'm like, fuck it, you can coast on that forever. I mean, it's 2012 and we're still talking about it. Isn't the Chronic like almost fucking 20 years old? Um, yeah, it's 20 years old this year, I think, right? That really makes me. I remember buying the 10th anniversary edition. So, wow, that really makes <laughs> me back. I don't have that. Like, it's so funny. Like, I know I live, I don't live in New York City, but I live in New York on Long Island where, you know, uh, Long Island was founded on people that have so much money they don't know what to do with it. You think we'd have a shit ton of second run theaters? We'd have one. Not even one. Like, you know, like the closest is the, is the art house theater that I go to. Um, you know, for the summer, they run double features uh, over the, you know, every Saturday night or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, that's it. That, and even that is $13. It's not like, you know, the New Beverly in California, you know, where they're $7 double feature. Like, you know, it's like, it's still pretty expensive. At least, you know, it's still better than, you know, because it costs like $12 just to see one movie regularly. See, and it's like, uh, see, you know. here is completely different. A, was- I'm jealous of you guys. And I would see like this summer, like, it's funny. Like, I haven't seen shit. I've seen a couple of movies, which is shocking. Like, that's so much. 
like that's not my usual but i can't take like, the price is just too much yeah i know i understand that i mean here dude like the most i've i pay for a movie here is like eight bucks oh eight i bucks can't even get a i can't even get a matinee for eight bucks <laughs> Um, My matinee price is nine dollars and seventy five cents. Wow! See, the most we've ever paid for a matinee around here is like six fifty, maybe. No, there's one AMC movie theaters. If you go to the very first showing on a Saturday or a Sunday, is six something. That is the cheapest thing. There's nothing cheaper than that. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Even our competition, like the Regals, are like twelve dollars, but the AMC's and National Amusements are eleven seventy-five. It's like fuck it, I'll pay the quarter right. to go to the theater down the street for me that looks a lot better. Right? <laughs> so, See, and and our cheap theaters or second run theaters, the movies are a buck fifty. Oh my god, oh my! God. I would just live in there. I would just go see every fucking. <laughs> Because that's my thing. I like to see every movie in the theater. Like, I feel like I don't properly judge it if I don't see it with an audience. Yeah, well, you know what I mean? Well, with the dollar fifty theater, sometimes you can go in and it'll just be like wherever you go see it. Just, it, yeah. it could be it could be empty or it could be completely full. And um, and sometimes you know, like on our but our dollar fifty theater are they running run thirty five millimeter at those at those theaters? Yeah, dude. That's even more shocking. Yeah, I mean, well, those theaters, those theaters are going to be in trouble then. Yeah, I mean they're running thirty five. They're running thirty five, but I think what they're doing is is because they used to be first run theaters. They will they will have some adjustments eventually to have digital stuff in there and DLP systems if necessary. But the thing is, is that a lot of studios are still sending off thirty five millimeter prints. So until that stops officially across the board, then then it, well, you know, like again, like the Dark Knight Rises, there are 35 millimeter prints available because that's Chris Nolan's intended format, so he wanted to make sure. But I don't even have a 35 millimeter uh, theater on Long Island. Mm-hmm. The only one is Art House Theater, and they're not showing. They might show Dark Knight Rises in a double feature three years from now, but they're not going to show it now. Yeah, you know, see, they're not. They're not. It's not really the way I want to see it either, because I know that theater is. It's not the you know the best. Uh, you know, I'm going to see it tonight. But again, we have one IMAX, one actual IMAX in all of New York. See, we have no IM. We have plenty of movie theaters, but we have no IMAX in Lexington. That's that's sad. Say. Yeah, you know we. Do you have, have. You probably have fake IMAX though. No, we don't even have fake IMAX, dude. I hate fake IMAX. Biggest rip. They charge you just as much, and it, it's literally like, oh, here, here's a, here's the same screen with an inch more on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, it's such bullshit. If it's not film, it's not IMAX. That's the whole purpose of it. You can't just show a digital thing and make it a little bit bigger. That's not IMAX. No, dude, no. I remember I remember seeing Spider-Man 3 in IMAX in a uh, movie theater in Cincinnati run by National Amusements. And, 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 and my wife and I, we go see it. And well, actually, she was my girlfriend at the time. And we go, we walk in, and I'm like, I thought this theater was supposed to be fucking huge. And literally, it was like they cut, it, it was as if they cut like a piece of the theater screen, dropped it to the floor, matted it against the wall, and said, here's your IMAX. I'm like, this isn't IMAX. An IMAX should either be a dome, or it should be a, um, or it should be a significantly curved screen. That's the only way it's actually an IMAX. Well, that motherfucker wasn't IMAX. It was. Well, that, but see, but again, I like, well, that movie wasn't in IMAX anyway, mm-hmm. so I- Three. That was just a blown up print, which actually cut half the picture off. But uh, yeah. see, most people don't actually even know what the fuck they're paying. That's the thing I find. That's the 3D too. Like fucking people have no clue what they're fucking paying for. Oh, I know, I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like you're paying like five dollars extra for them to put a fucking black screen in front of the movie. <laughs> yeah, dude. 
it, it's it, I mean, and, and some now some three D when it's actually filmed in three D and done right looks really cool. But yeah, I, like, I'm against it if yeah. it's you know an artistic choice. Oh, yeah. My whole thing is the fucking the the post ones. Yo, yeah, yeah. Even that, even a lot of the the stuff filmed in three D too. Like you're not getting because most of the theaters aren't running them properly. They're not putting that extra light. Nope. They want to save money, so they're cutting it back so it looks darker. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the hell is the point? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude. We'll wait till the four D stuff starts coming. <laughs> it's, oh god it, it's coming I'm, I'm not lying to you I've, I've read yeah, like, four, did you read, the, did you read the, the interview with um, Chris Nolan that came out today where he talked about that like, no, they asked no, him like, no, no. Is, like why he doesn't want to like why he, he's like he's like you know what I've never talked to a, sing, a single person who likes 3D and I work in Hollywood <laughs> he was like so why am I going to tell people to pay more money for something nobody likes including myself right 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. That was the best. Like that whole interview was fantastic. I should send that over to you. Uh, Please like, do. Tomorrow. For real, seriously. But he was, it was like a series. Like it was like we could tell it's from one big interview that everyone's been chopping little bits off of, you know, and you running on their side. But he would there was ask him about like um like the comic book movies, and he was like he was like everything like I see about them like nowadays is either it's either people are like making um like their only goal is to make it like look like a comic book, or it's to like you know. Or it's, or it's, I can't remember what he said. But he was basically talking about the Marvel stuff, mm-hmm. and he was like, he was like, well, I'm not like making a commercial. It's like I'm making a film. Like there's a difference, you know. Like, but he, you know, he says it in such a classy way that it doesn't go. Like if I say that, like that's like what an insult. He has that, you know, British charm. It's like, but I agree. I was like happy somebody said it because that's all I like. I can't. That's my biggest beef with the Marvel stuff. It's like, I don't want to watch an advertisement for another movie. Well, see, I don't think Cap came off that way until you got to the end of the actual movie. Cap was like half a good movie. You know, I enjoy Cap through through and through. I, I like the Avengers, but at the end of the day, I'm like, it's just a toy commercial. It's like not really a movie. <laughs> but I don't know. It was fun, but like, I, I don't know. I don't know if it holds up. Another thing I find funny, too, like people are like attacking Dark Knight because it's whole like critic thing, like with the Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, nobody's, you know, because they're fucking stupid people doing death threats or bad reviews. But, like, people forget that happens on, like, every movie. <laughs> it happened yeah. during Avengers. And fucking Sam Jackson jumped in on it. What? Don't you remember that? No. Like, he was. A- Dude, I stay away from that bullshit. But, like, he was like, oh, he said, like, A.O. Scott should lose his job because he gave the Avengers, like, a, like a middling review. Mm. Like, well, you know what he's talking, like, you know, whatever. It, and it, someone was like, he's like, well, it made all this money. And someone was like, well, you know, just because it made the most money doesn't mean it's a good movie. It's like, well, sometimes it is or something like that. And he really got like people's faces about it. That was hilarious. That, that is crazy. <laughs> it's not like that's his finest performance or anything. You know? <laughs> hey, although I will I say, mean, there, oh. there were death threats over fucking Toy Story three when it got its first bad review. Like, I mean, I'm just saying, this is not a new thing. You know? No, I know, I don't know. It, it's definitely not. It's definitely not a new thing at all. It's you know, the internet has always been a hot mess of a cradle. When it comes to stuff like this, I really wish we would just get to the point where, um, you know, when it comes to these comment threads, where just, everybody. Hey, what well, you said? Go ahead. Okay. I was gonna say I wish they should just. I wish they would get rid of Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's the worst thing. No, no, my, no, I'm I'm not a fan of it either. I mean, I just wish we just get to the I point. Think point created the mindset of the internet that I don't like. Like that whole like everything gets judged on this meter and people say, Oh, if it's good or bad and nobody actually sees the thing mm-hmm. or like actually you know, they just go by well, all right, they don't actually read anybody's reviews, they just read the little comment and they're like and that's it. So it's, again there's some stuff up there they have down as bad reviews and then you read them, it's like, Oh no, this person liked it but they had an issue with it. But right. the site only looked at that issue 
So now it's a bit. Like, I don't. Know, I just think it's stupid. I think that's that's the whole problem with the culture right now is this aggregate thing of just like you know, oh, that's this is oh well, it passed the marks here, so it's great. And you know, like I mean, like like with Speed Racer, like no half the people never even saw Speed Racer in the theater because of the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And then like a year later, it's this cult classic. It's like, well, why don't you just go see it instead of oh, some critic didn't like it. Who cares? Like, just go see it. And then if you don't like it, you don't like it. Oh yeah, like in, in yeah, that doesn't mean the critic is wrong either. Oh, but I'm just saying, yeah. don't go by that. Oh well, Rotten Tomatoes said it's bad, so I ain't going. I can't count how many movies I love that got like you know, you know, twenty percent. Like again, I love fucking Punisher Warzone. If I went by fucking Rotten Tomatoes, I shouldn't go see it. I had fun with it. I think there's more to that movie than people you know saw. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I looked at it like this one when it came to Speed Racer. I wanted to see it, and literally. It was in and out of the movie theaters in my neighborhood in two weeks. Then for like three weeks total or something. And, yeah. So. And, and so and so, the opportunity was not there for me because I think also during the other period, during that period of time, either other movies were out that I wanted to see and I didn't have a lot of money and I'm still doing really well too. So I didn't really have a lot of room. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, because it was mostly if it didn't if it came out before Iron Man, it might have had a shot. Ah, okay. But it was like Iron Man came out, then Speed Racer was the next week. That was the it, sa- that was the same year. Yep. Really. Yep. Huh. I'm trying to think what else was. That was a lot. That was a big. That was the last. Like this is the summer that's closest to that in terms of like big release, big like it was. Um. Yeah, Iron Man kicked off in May, like the first weekend of May. Speed Racer was second. Um. Then what? There was like Wanted that summer. Um. Uh. What are the Incredible Hulk? Um, Hellboy 2, then Dark Knight, and there was more shit too. That was like a big, that was a big summer. That was the last one, like that was the last summer, like that made, you know, like a record amount of money. I think this is going to be the one that's going to probably top it, but mm. <laughs> not because people are going, but because the fucking tickets are so fucking expensive. I always just look back to comics like. Like you know, 2005 to 2007, that era, 2008 around there, and it was like that. That was there. The comics were not doing that bad, you know. Like things were selling again. I know people want to sell millions of copies. I don't really give a shit. I don't. I, I just don't think that's a good thing. I, I think at, t- at times I actually can make worse products if everybody's getting it. But I was saying that like they were selling well enough. But there was no. It's not like right now where everything seems like like the sh- like you know fucking the building's blowing up and you got to jump off the like that's what it always feels like whenever anybody talks about the comic industry but it didn't have that connotation to it it seemed like everything was selling well at least the big two were selling well enough to sustain themselves and it wasn't um I don't know like there was still a lot of stuff in the in the back of the catalog of previews that was still selling well enough and then it just seemed like a couple years ago like something ha- like something happened where Okay, I know fucking the economy crash is one thing, but I'm just saying like where I think the stuff people always complain about that the, that the big two should do, and then they did them, and nothing good came of them. I guess you know what I mean. Yeah. Like people say, oh, you know, they that they, like they, they you know that Warner Brothers should get more involved in what DC's doing. That was not a good idea. I don't know why people thought that was such a great idea. No, so, especially with Warner Brothers being so fragmented as is. You have Warner Brothers, you have DC Entertainment, and outside of the Batman movies, that's all y'all can do. And the only reason why the Batman movies are good is because they have you know legendary pictures. They're producing them. 
And Christopher Nolan's like, guys, Warner Brothers, yo, st- stay over there. St- stay over there. Over there. You can look from afar. Don't touch. I got this. Here's the thing, though. Marvel has a formula. Like, let's not act like every fucking thing they do is like, oh, wow. How did they think of that? They have a very, very clear formula that they use for every single thing they do. Right. It's a game plan. It, yes, it was just it just plug in ABC here. We got another movie. It's not like it's a, a we need to find the greatest artists of our time to craft these. No, 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 no. Look at look at their like comic. They didn't announce like any comics, but they announced their four movies. That was enough. Like more people talked about that than any comics they would have announced. It's very clear where they're headed. But at, I tell know? you what was funny hearing seeing CC Sabolski tweet on uh, tweet on like Monday that Marvel dominated San Diego Comic Con. I'm like yeah, I know. In a way, they did. To the non-comics people, they were like, wow, Marvel's panel was great. <laughs> but to anyone who cares about comics, it was like, what the fuck did they mention? Like, what did they announce? Nothing. 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 You know, I thought, now look, I thought Robert Downey Jr. stole the show. You know, him coming into Luther Vandross is never too much. That was that was cute. That was funny. You know, but that's Robert Downey Jr. That's what I expect from him. But he's, he's classy. That's what he does. You know, if they have a panel... And they show a screen, and it says Captain America, the Winter Soldier 2014, and people lose their shit. It's like, wow, a title? I've never seen a title before. Yeah, you you know (laughs) what I mean? Or it's like, hey, we got one. Hey, here's a card for Thor. Yeah! I'm like... But didn't everybody know that already? Like, they said, like, there's going to be... So now they have a title card. That makes all the difference. Because nobody's ever had a title card for a movie that never came out before. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, I'm not... But even here, but here, look at that. Like, all right, um, Captain America, Joe Johnson directed it. It was a pretty decent movie. It did pretty well. Why is he not doing the sequel? So some guy you never heard of is making it. Well, but like, that... What does that say about that? Like, I mean, nobody returns. But I think like, because they have, they have the template of what they want to do with these movies down. It's yeah. like, you know, they're like, look at the first one. We want that, but with this instead and it may not be like that with every film i mean at least with like you know iron man 3 they got shane black well here's the thing i'm a little worried about that because you know i'm a huge shane black fan and shane black has a very distinctive voice you know he's never made really made anything where like you know like like he doesn't make stuff very often anymore like he just makes stuff he wants it so i'm hoping that means this will be good and i said it was kind of funny for like how um like how marvel the comics people are so like on a leash like they can't say anything it seems like they're they give very very plain press interview kind of things that are terrible like yeah, everything is great like they like they, they could tell that that's not really what they think and they're just like but i think it's so funny they're two big guys doing the movies right now are joss whedon and shane black and shane black if you read any interview with him recently he hasn't changed he doesn't filter anything he says and i just find and joss whedon too said a lot of stuff in that in those interviews like that what was it wired interview he did like he said a lot of shit where I was kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, someone working for Marvel saying that? Like, I'm kind of surprised. I just think it's kind of funny on their movie ending, which you think the rope would be the tightest. Like, these guys are just going off on the mouth about everything. I think that's, I still thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yet the comics people have very little stake in any of this company, really, if you look at it. Oh. They're like fucking like afraid they're going to get fired if they say, I just find that so funny. But I'm saying at the same time, Kenneth Branagh couldn't fucking imprint any of his voice on a Thor movie. I'm like, I hope Shane Black can. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm just saying, like, they haven't had a good track record with me. Okay. And again, I like, I like Avengers, but I mean, still, it's su- it was such a product. It was so calculated to me. I, I need to talk about Thor. I, I just saw Thor. The, I'm sorry, go ahead. The movie Thor? The, movie, the, the movie Thor. I just saw Thor for the first time. The wife and I saw it last weekend. 
via net or well, as of this recording uh via netflix streaming i watched it i liked it but i had problems with it and i had more problems with it than probably any other marvel film under the marvel banner um uh, under the marvel oh. banner and but incredible hulk is far 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 worse see i've yet to watch that one yet never watch it it's awful but um i don't watch it because I, I you know i want to watch it just to see but no you know you know me man i i got i gotta judge it for myself i gotta judge I, it for myself it. i know i know i know but <laughs> i'd like you know i like hemsworth as thor hemsworth as thor is cool you know hiddleston as loki cool hopkins as as odin fine the actors i'm, I'm fine with all no no that. this is the thing with marvel though. this is how they coast by is they cast really well yeah they cast really that well. was the thing with thor like after i watched him like, that was okay yeah and i thought about it, i'm like no it wasn't it was actually kind of crappy and really generic this is what got you thank you and i was like but i was but i was like but tom hiddleston was such a good loki that yeah. you, you almost thought what you were watching was good because words were coming out of his mouth yeah. he was so good and the same thing hensworth perfect thor but was the mo- anything involving him in the movie interesting? No. <laughs> My problem with the movie is it's like I just thought it was okay. And the, when I go and watch this movie, a couple of my issues. One, when they go to the land of the frost giants, I'm in my house watching this on TV in daylight. And we got a nice TV. I can't see shit. <laughs> on the frost giants planet i can't see anybody okay i'm like are you masking bad cgi or is or is it something else i can't see jack shit so because they don't the reason why those look so bad is um they were um i think it was something like those were supposed to be shot in 3d and they didn't know how to use the camera correctly or something and so you got some weird mishmash at the end of the day. And Apparently, it was even worse if you saw it. And I remember Alec, in particular, had said that that was that was one of the reasons he really didn't like that movie. It was like he couldn't see half of what was going on half the time. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't. That, that didn't get those complaints as much as like Nolan's Batman gets, where I can kind of see everything fine. <laughs> yeah. like, well, yeah. I never. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. The Frost Giants. I was like, well, what the hell is that? Yeah, like, I, I, I couldn't see anything. So. I was kind of a little salty about that, and then I thought about it. The film, when they go to Earth, there's literally just two locations. A small little town that could have been built like in 15 minutes, and this hole in the ground, which they make like a little compound for. There's not a lot of sets. There's not a lot of movement. There really isn't that much action. You know, yeah, the talk between Thor and Jane, yeah, that's cool, whatever, but there's a lot of posturing. Nothing really happens. And then the destroyer finally comes down. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. And he's going like that in about five minutes. It, it, I just, I, I just, I. I wanted I wanted more from it, you know what I mean? And yeah, it's it, and again you're you're talking about this a year after the fact. You didn't I don't think you had high expectations for it either, right? Um, no, I, it's not that I didn't have high expectations for it. I mean, because like I looked at the cast, I'm like, well, this cast is cool. It's just that when it came out, I was busy. There was something that was missing from it, and so story. It was just it was. It was just, it was just kind of empty in spots. Like I said, I love the characters. I liked all, you know, I like all the characters in the movie. I did, I, I really did. But you mean to tell me that that movie is essentially like one set, not a lot of movement, and not a lot. There's not a lot of story there. I mean, the only, the only story that really, the only story that that, that really has any uh, resonance in the whole movie is that Loki was the linchpin or or the chi- or or the one that was supposed to unite the world of the frost giants 
at peace with the world of Asgard. That was really about it. That's really the only story. That and the whole Thor, you know what, man? You got attitude. Um, Sends you to Earth, redeem yourself, then you can have this hammer back. But even that isn't really that full, that full of a story. That, you know, it's not a full circle redemption type story. You know what I mean? I think, though, that's a bigger big reason you're talking about. Like, that's kind of my problem with all the Marvel Studio stuff for the most part. But I think that that's why Avengers kind of worked was because they casted everybody really well in those other movies. And they all had a moment that was cool, at least. Yeah. Well, well, and I think what the Avengers movie did was it kind of like it cut the fat. It was like, well, here's all those characters here. Here they are. Like, they're all, you know, they're all pretty well picked in terms of like the cast. Here's their great moment. Then here's their, this, this character's great moment. And, they, you know, and then they all fight at the end. So it didn't need like, even though it's still two and a half hours long and there's probably a bunch of shit they got to cut out. Like it, like, it, it, it got the core of what worked about that because like right. you no, know, it wasn't those the movies the marvel movies weren't bad because the actors were bad it was just bad because they didn't have any story to tell really and again everyone will debate me because people seem to love those fucking movies but i'm gonna say to me they were just all very thin the only one i think that approached being a movie was captain america but even that kind of lost me when he actually like became cap like I really love the build up to it, and then I kind of didn't like when he actually was fighting and stuff. That kind of lost oh, me. I, I'll, I'll, I think it's a, I think it was an overall pretty decent movie up to that point. It was the only one to me that actually felt like a film like it had anything to say. It had a story to tell. To, to me, um, I, I like Cat from begin from beginning to end. Like the films that like I think I enjoy them. See, because this is the thing: you can enjoy a movie and still say I have an issue here, I have an issue there, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's a problem that people have is that if you say you have an issue with something, oh, you hate it. No, no, no. You know, you can still criticize something that you enjoy. And I think that's something that people don't understand nowadays. Don't know why, but it's like, okay, I like the first Iron Man. My issue with the first Iron Man is, is that the final fight is anticlimactic. I didn't get that. Because you had all this buildup for this big fight between Iron Man and Iron Monger. And it's literally, I don't know, maybe five minutes if you're lucky. You know what I mean? Then you, get Iron, and then you have Iron Man 2, which in concept has a lot of great scenes. But really, it's a setup for the Avengers. Now I got my, but see the the one. See, the, the thing that's funny, if you kind of combine Iron Man one and two, I think you'd have a good movie. Yeah, and the thing is, listen, I like the villains in the Iron Man too. Like I, I really like the villain. I actually really like Justin Hammer. I Justin Hammer's awesome, dude. Like, and I like Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, but like I really don't like that first Iron. Man. I think it's a really Again, I say again, generic movie. Like I think it's a very like connect the dots thing, and but, I think it gets by on on Downey's charm. But that didn't really work for me. Again, I've only seen it once, and one isn't a particularly great movie. And I saw it, so maybe that accounts for because I know people love that movie. I, and, I, I, I like but, it, but the problem is, but see, I think it also the problem lies within the fact that you are dealing with origin stories, and how many times do you have to make a movie based off of a comic book or a superhero? where you have to do an origin story. That's an issue. To me, that's an issue. Because if you're going to do that with every single superhero-based movie or every, every movie where a comic book hero has an origin, eventually people are going to say, I'm fucking tired. No. This was the point I made in that, um, in that Matinee Idols episode where we talked about the Thor trailer. I was just like, well, how many of these do people really want to see? I mean, it's basically the same story. Plug in the character, like I mean, you're gonna just see the same story over and over again, in all these movies. Because I mean, super again, 
Thor is different than Batman or different than Spider-Man, but I mean, at the same time, it's still, uh, the hero story can only be redone so many times. Right. So you're going to get a lot of overlap, even if these movies are wildly different. It's like, well, all right, we got, after a while, you just feel like you're getting through the motions. Like, I don't know if you saw the latest Spider-Man or not. No, I have seen it. I have seen it, yes. Which it was all right, you know, again, but that, that one's a shame just because if you read the thing about how, you know, the, the, the last hour, you know, you know, in the, uh, Whatever you know, there you know, right before the things gonna be released, they just chopped it all up. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, it was a way more interesting film. Like you know, a month before it came out, because they they radically altered the or- origin story. Where you would watch it, it wouldn't have felt like you're watching the same thing, because they added so much new stuff to it. And they, I mean, they cut out like 45 minutes of it. Huh. And and threw in stuff that was a lot more similar to the first movie. Kind of like, have you ever seen The Crow and then The Crow 2? Like yes. The Crow 2, the Crow 2, actually, the original cut of that is a really different, interesting movie. And then um, a month before, a couple of weeks before, they got scared, and they recut it so it followed the same pattern as the first one, and then nobody liked it. Yeah, I know. I saw it. it was so I, still like it. I still like it because the Deftones are in it in the scene at the end, and it's like the only movie in it was like before that first album so i like it for that <laughs> and it looks cool. it looks cool but i remember if you listen to the commentary on that it's hilarious they're just all the people are just like yeah well, we 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 had something really cool and different we thought <laughs> and then uh you know like none of them had known that they cut it up it just kind of happened the studio did that right before well, um but again in the end of the day like it's like well again i liked amazing spider-man enough because again i liked the cast but like but the cast was a mass improvement over the raimi stuff People, and, a lot of people like to shit on the Ramy stuff, though, and at their moments. But like, it's it's one of those things where I don't, I really don't like uh, Toby Maguire as Peter Parker, and I really, really don't like uh, Kristen Dunst as Mary Jane, and they're the two central characters of the whole franchise. Right, the whole is about their relationship. They're on screen most of the time, and if I can't stand watching these, again, I like those actors in other things. Mm-hmm. Like I think. Kristen Dunst gave the best performance in a film last year in Melancholia. Like, I like this. I like that, but I just thought they were wrong for these parts. And and especially Tobey Maguire is laying it on way too thick and is annoying me. And but I have to follow him. But again, Raimi got a lot right. Like, n- nobody's ever going to play, um, you know, J.K. Simmons's role better no, than he is. No, they might as well just get him for the next one. Yeah, that's J. Jonah Jameson right there. Like, they had the perfect Betty Brant. You know, yes. they had the perfect, you know, I like, again, all the supporting characters are pretty fucking perfect. Like he couldn't get better people to play those roles. Again, they had great Doc Ock. You know, even uh, again, even though the costume's kind of silly, like Boom the Foes are pretty perfect Norman Osborn. You know, I'm just saying, like they got a lot of things right. Even that, again, a lot of contention on this one. I think um, T- uh, Topher Grace's Venom is actually the most interesting thing in that franchise, actually. Um, and I thought very well cast, but everybody hates him in that. But I'm saying again, I don't really like that movie, but I thought he was really interesting in that role. But I'm saying he got a lot right. But again, when the central part of it I don't like, I'm not going to like the whole. It's, it's going to be hard for me to like the movie. I guess we can say that now because you know it's all it's already pass, it's already passed. But time though, I really didn't love those movies when they came out either. Okay, well I, I'm a Raimi fan, so it was kind of like you know I was I was trying to find my way into those movies and it never really clicked for me. I looked at it like this because of the you know of that era of that time you know over you know over over a decade ago. Kirsten Dunst had the hot hand so you know she had the hot hand so she was hot at that time so boom you put her in Spider-Man Tobey Maguire had you know had done a lot of stuff and he was he was somewhat riding a hot hand and he was kind of like you know he was kind of like the undercard or underdog but out of all the people that tried for it they liked him best 
But and and that was just that was the era and that was the time. Like I never thought that Kirsten Dunst to me was never MJ. You know what I mean? I and see, like, I, I don't want to add on because like I really actually get really bothered when people like like you know just making fun of her for their, like. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm just think no. she was miscast. I think she's just a good. She's a good actress, but she's not that character. Right, and right, 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 right. She's not it. Right. Doesn't mean she's the ugliest woman in the world. Like people are like, and I'm like no, 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 no she no, just. No, no, no. You put her in that role, it just it just like it doesn't work. And, so it's like, and I she think, might have been fine as a different character in that story, but not that one. And that's why, like, I always got it. And see, and I agree with you on that because, like, you know, I don't think she's an ugly person either, not at all. That all the, I said all the coke she was on at the time probably didn't help that. Oh, but oh, oh, damn, <laughs> damn. The thing about it is, is that when Bryce Dallas Howard was brought in as Gwen Stacy for Spider Man Three. I looked at Bryce Dallas Howard and I was like, why aren't you Mary Jane and why wasn't Kirsten Dunst Gwen Stacy? Because Bryce Dallas Howard is is technically, I thought she's like a natural redhead. That kind of makes sense to make her MJ. And Kirsten Dunst, I thought it was a natural blonde. So I'm like, why don't you make her? Why didn't they make her Gwen Stacy? But it's casting. That's what the choices they make. And so when I see Spider-Man 3... It's got a lot of issues. I still, I still, you know, there are things about it I still enjoy. I disagree on the whole Topher Grace thing. Um, I don't hate Topher Grace. I, I don't hate the dude. It's just that the context of the, the the story as a whole is so fragmented and jacked up. Because I'm not, I'm not talking about the script as his right. character written. Right. I just meant the the casting and that before, like how he performed him. I thought was brilliant because oh, okay. to me, Venom. The thing I always fucked up in the comics with Venom is, I mean, to me, he should always be Spider-Man's like opposite number. Like, and the fact they got a guy that almost looked exactly like Tobey Maguire to play him, and to actually play him literally like, like fucking, like, you know what they used to do in the cartoons, you know, they put a mustache on the character and he's the evil character. <laughs> he, play, he played it like that, and he stuck that through the whole way. And I was like, that's brilliant, because that's exactly what I always thought they should have done. He should have literally been his doppelganger, but his evil doppelganger. Right. And they kind of played that up, and I think actually, and I don't know, there's a dark, there's still a darkness to it. Like, I really like that scene where he's in the church, like, praying for Parker to die. Like, I thought there was some interesting stuff there. Like, to me, that everyone always says, oh, Sandman was so great. I'm like, well, Sandman, yeah, he has a cool, like, opening scene, you know, where he he's made out of sand but like he's not there wasn't anything that interesting i don't see how he even connected to that story in any well, way well because and that's the whole thing where you have you have the possibility of okay this is what sam raimi wants to do this is what sony wants to do and then it becomes a, a complete mess and that's and so you literally have like four different storylines in here okay four different storylines in one film spidey sandman sandman kind of being retconned to be the guy that killed Uncle Ben by accident. Um, that was... <laughs> you, you have um, Spidey... Fucking Robin Michael Papa John on one of his fucking... Like, that was his role, man. Now you lessened his role. Then you also have Spidey versus Hobgoblin. Um, and then you have... Yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, Spidey versus Hobgoblin. And then you have the redemption of, of Harry Osborn. Okay, you got that. You have Spidey versus the symbiote suit. Um, then you have Peter versus Spidey. Then Peter you, versus Dance. Then versus what? Peter versus Dance. Yes, Peter versus Dance. Um, Which I think he succeeded in that battle, personally. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, <laughs> uh, Peter versus Eddie Brock. Uh, Peter ver- and then Spidey versus Venom. Peter versus you know Peter Mary Jane. Where both characters in that third story are written so fucked up, it's like I don't feel sorry for either of y'all motherfuckers. 
and then you have Peter and Gwen Stacy, and then you have this whole thing called coincidence that links everything all together. That is a mess. And look, I like I said before, I still do like Spider-Man 3, the movie. I like it. I'm not saying it's the greatest thing on earth. It's not because it is flawed. But there are things about it that I do enjoy. My, like, and we talked about this before. My problem with like a lot of the Spider-Man movies is I'm like, listen, just keep the fucking mask on. I mean, like, I, dude, I, I know it's you. I know you can pay a lot of money. And I'm sure the studio's like, well, we pay this guy a lot of money. Let him, you know, they got to see his face. I, I get That's it. why I was surprised when I saw people complaining about Andrew Garfield knew and take it. I mean, he only took it off like twice. I mean, he was in it a lot of the movie. He was in the mask. Yeah, he was. He was. You're, you're right. He was. It's, with Spider-Man 3, that was, like I said, it's, it's like this film, it's, it always sits in the middle with me. Like I said, I, I enjoy the Raimi Spider-Man films because at that time, that was the shit. That was like the best thing in, you know, in superhero movies at the time. Oh, come on. I, I, what about Blade? Well, Blade was before that. So I know, but you're saying at the time I'm putting it in that you know I came out what 2001 or 2002. Um, I think I thought Blade Two was out the same year. Yeah, true. That is true. Blade Two was Blade Two was a much better movie than oh, Spider. Oh, dude, it was a gear as a Guillermo del Toro classic. But I'm just talking about as far as like America as a whole, America as a whole. I like X Men one's better too. Uh, I'll give you X Two, X One. I I don't really dig X Three. I like. Mom, P- what do they call you wheels? Come on, that's a great line. Yeah, that, that was that was funny. <laughs> but see, the whole thing with Blade is, it's and that's the whole thing with like with with Marvel is, is that Blade was the thing that kicked off. Well, that was one of the. Again. Oh, by the way, did you, you see that? Fuck, that was one of the greatest foot in the mouth comments ever. What the fuck? The fucking who's the guy that runs Marvel Studios? They oh, ask him. Oh, the Black Panther Black- thing. Yeah, okay. that was the that was the greatest like foot in the mouth fucking oh, comment. Hold on, hold on, because you know what? That actually rolls us back to Thor. This then it rolls me back to this point. And actually, let me pull up, let me pull up what he said. His name is uh, Louis D'Esposito or Louis D'Esposito. Uh, he said the Black Panther. He uh, he the Black Panther has a lot of the same characteristics of a Captain America. Great character, good values. But it's a little, it's a little. But he's more black, difficult. and you know that's yeah. the problem. Yeah, exactly. He says, but it's it's a little more difficult, maybe creating a world like Wakanda. It's always easier basing it here, like say for instance, in New York or California. For instance, Iron Man three is rooted right here in Los Angeles in New York. When you bring in other worlds, you're always faced with those difficulties. Now let me roll back to Thor. You fucking made Asgard and the fucking plant that frost giants are on. So don't sit here and fucking tell me that you can't fucking make Wakanda. If Ewoks can live in fucking California and call it Endor, you can fucking make Wakanda. If you Wait, don't... Huh? Roll, back, roll back to the quote. Just end that quote again. When you bring in other worlds, you're always faced with those difficulties. And our next film on the slot here is uh, Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Like, oh, you guys, another otherworldly picture we're doing right here. So you can have a talking CG raccoon and a fucking talking tree with a gat, but you can't give me fucking Wakanda. You can't get me vibranium. You- I'll tell him, and they better be casting black voice a- voice actors in all those roles. Some reparations there for that comment. You know, listen. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm to the point like with this stuff. With, with and I know some people say, well, you know, you know, you know, Joe, you know, Casada loves Black Panther. He, you know, he tried to give it his. I thought you were gonna say he loves possible. Black. No, but I'm, <laughs> like Joe Casada loves Black people. Yeah, what are no, you talking about? No, I'm talking Sam about Sam Jackson. You know, yeah. But no, but no, like, you know, but there will be people that say Joe Casada loved Black Panther 
when he was running Marvel Comics. That was over 10 years ago. Exactly. And, he, you know, he tried to give it as many runs as possible. I'm like, that's a whole different beast. And then there'll be people that say, well, there's still people in the general public because a lot of people still don't know that comics exist. And then you say Black Panther, they might associate with the Black Panther Party. But I'm like, listen, a lot of people don't know about U.S. history in the United States. So many of them don't even know what the fuck a Black Panther is. So, no, I think that's bullshit. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that either. You know, if you just want to say, we just want black people in secondary roles and, and sidekicks and shit in our films. If you don't want to say that, don't say that. But that's what you're really telling me when you say that. And you're saying that black people don't travel. And, and that thing, and that's an old Hollywood saying that black films with black leads don't do well overseas or films with black casts don't do well overseas. That has changed over the years. Um, but it's like either come up with a new like with a new excuse statement but when you say shit like that and you literally have thrown thor in my face and you got guardians of the galaxy in 2014 don't give me that bullshit okay just don't you're wasting my time black panther is a film that has either been in development hell since or development hell or on the stages of possibly getting made since 1992 well, it was almost it was almost in production like 2006 with Wesley Snipes actually, which would have been funny, I guess. Yeah, but see, <laughs> but see, remember that was also during that period of time where Wesley Snipes had the rights to literally every black superhero movie out there. He had the rights to Blade, Luke Cage, and like two other cats. It's like, dude, you can't play all the black superheroes. Yeah. Do they still have those rights anymore? Because he did no. have that tax problem. No, 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 no. Sold man, all those assets. No, the production <laughs> company, Snipes' production company that had the rights to those, that, that evaporated a lot. Yeah, Marvel, time. I think, has got them all back. Yeah, right? they, got, they got them all back. And the whole but here's the thing. Here's the thing. All right, the guy, all right, it's possible that, you know, it's not a race race thing, which it probably, probably is, but it's, it's possible, you know, whatever. There's just no market for that character right now. Why didn't he just say, you, know, you have no plans at the moment, but, you know, we're keeping an open mind about it. Exactly. And moved on to the next question. Exactly. That's the, but see, Why does he have to be like, uh, you know, like, like, he has to try and scientifically explain to you why it's not possible. And by disproving it right after, like, I don't know, like, that, that's, how do you not say that? No, it's not going to be something that's, you know, soundbited, you know, a million times after that. And see, and my whole thing is, is that when people, so when, when, when people say stuff like that, it automatically comes off to me. It comes, I translate it as you don't want to film with a black lead because you don't think it can sell. That's, that's what you're telling me, okay? That is what you're telling me. They may not mean that, but in saying that, that's how it comes off. Because I look at it like this. You know, like I know, if they made a Black Panther movie, it would probably be the lowest budgeted of all the Marvel films because that's how it's going to go. Um, but I'd also, but even there, I can say, you know, he's not the most popular character, especially at the moment. Right, right. Hence, so the, it's possible if they're giving him a shot, you'd be happy, you know, they're making. I don't think you'd complain. I would not. I would not complain. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that, you know, it's not even just because oh, it's a black character, he's getting the most budget. He's just not the, again. If, if there was a character that was the most popular, and then he still got a fucking low budget, then I, then I'd say, all right, that you're right. Right. No, no. And, see, <laughs> and, and the whole thing is, is that you mean to tell me, probably one of the easiest movies to make. Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, hasn't been made yet. He has no, he really has no costume. You no, know, he's super strong. You really don't have to have a lot of CG, if any. And they like to lowball in their films anyway. You probably make it for thirty million. You mean to tell me you still haven't made a Luke Cage because you're that afraid of a, a film with the, with either a primary? Yeah, black, but you have know. to understand though, like ten years ago, fifteen years ago, you're coming and saying I can make this for ten million. They're like. 
oh great let's get it done not anymore like unless your movie's 200 million or it's micro budget they're like 50 grand or something like they're not going to green light it anymore or 40 or you know because there have been a lot of movies there have been a lot of movies that come out like this year that were like 40 50 million dollar movies that got you know got on the books got in the theaters and made and but they made probably money. did they come out from sony because i mean like i'm just saying like i don't I don't, cause I'm just saying, like, I, I've heard from all the big studios pretty much, they don't, like, they have a division, they have those smaller divisions, you know, which can green light up to, like, four million or whatever, and then they have, they, then they don't want to hear anything else that's not fucking, maybe, what, are they making some mid-tier movies again? Yeah. Maybe those are 50 million, which really is ridiculous if, like, it's a family comedy, it should be, like... Five million. You know, nobody should be spending that much money on a movie where people sit in a room. It's but it's crazy. either micro budget or mega budget. And there's, there's no, no and there's no in between nope. anymore. And right. and I don't understand that. I really don't. That might change in a couple of years though, because like I'm saying, some of these some of these smaller movies are doing way better than people expected. Yeah. I, you know, again, you you know, they got to they do a state they do more project. Got to bump it up a little. Maybe they'll get that middle back. I hope. Because like that's you know if I'm making a movie I don't know if I want the responsibility of a two hundred million dollar movie like I'd like you know rather work you know say you have a bigger idea that's bigger than four million but you don't want to go that high you know I never understood why that is but I think someone tried to explain it. I was reading something where they were explaining like again like also why advertising budgets are so high yeah in their hand it's just oh just keep throwing money at it they'll pay for itself basically like like and, I, that, and that's not always the case rarely the case <laughs> it's funny but you know it, yeah it, it's just not the case so what the fuck they threw enough money at that green lantern movie i don't think i think you could have thrown so much money at that nothing would have helped nothing would have helped <laughs> we're not going to talk about it we're not <laughs> and again I've, i haven't seen it i guess i should take my own advice and not talk about things i haven't seen i, I, I have seen it and we're not going to talk about it <laughs> No, I feel like you're talking about something else. I feel like every time I'm on your show, I just bash superhero movies and budgets. So what else are we talking about? <laughs> it's like, damn it, why do I bring this? Why do I bring Joey on this damn show? He just bashes everything. I, I'm like, no, no, I don't, dude. You know, like I know, when we do this together, it's always real talk. So hey, that's the that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. You, you know me. We can't fake the funk. People know when you when you're faking it. So why not just be honest? By the time this airs, this will have already passed, and it's and it's going to be probably be passe to some people. But for me, it kind of just bothers me. And it's the black panel at San Diego Comic Con. Was J. Michael Straczynski on that panel as well? No, no, no. He's a little into that one too. I'd be shocked. No, he's no. like I was an African American. You know, I have a lot of problems in this industry. <laughs> um, the black panel at Comic Con. This has been something that's been going on for years, or maybe I think around twenty if I'm not mistaken, and it's run, the black panel is run and moderated by Michael Davis. This year's panel, with all the things going on in comics and with actual, you know, black folks doing stuff in comics right now, like Brandon Thomas, you know, writing a very good Voltron book and a very good Voltron year one book and the Glyph-nominated Miranda Mercury book. Um, You have that. You had Dennis Cowan doing books for Vertigo. You had guys like uh, Brandon Easton on the TV side of things, writing for Thundercats. Black people were actually doing stuff in the comic business. You know, not a lot, but still doing something. And in television, it, you know, until like cartoons, anime, and stuff. So it was doing something. So I'm thinking in my eyes, um, you know, this black panel this year is going to be fucking awesome. 
what the black panel was, Michael Davis, okay, and I'm taking this from Entertainment Weekly. Michael Davis moderated the infamous panel with Shaquille O'Neal, Jamie Kennedy, um, <laughs> Alexander Strong from New Kingdom Entertainment, Missy Jeppy, president of Jeppy's Entertainment Museum, Eve Van Lowe, former Cosby Show writer, author of The Young Adult Earth Angel and Boyfriend from Hell, and Steve McKeever, president of Hidden Beach Records. Okay. They couldn't even get Tyrese on the battle. <laughs> you know what? I could stand for mayhem. <laughs> I could stand for that. I don't have. Please tell me they at least turn the air conditioner on for the folks in the room. At least they at least take that away too. Panel sponsor AT and T screened a Daybreak web ser- series trailer. Okay, fine. Um, and Shaq previewed his new comics, Clean Ops and Hoop Fighters. Listen, I have no problem with people doing vanity projects making comics. I, I don't. I you know what it's you know, there's no need for me to get angry, no need for me to be upset be upset is silly. Shaq loves comic books anyway. Go ahead and make books. I don't know if they're gonna be good. More power to you, okay? Don't know if they're gonna be good. I'm no, dude, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice because I like Shaq. I'm trying to no, be don't nice. treat your audience like idiots here. Come on now. You don't know if they'll be good? All right. Well, no, listen, man. Look. A lot of a lot of people listen to this show. They bought Shaq Fu for the Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo back in the '90s. You remember Shaq Fu, Ultimate Fighting Basketball. You remember Shaq Fu. You all quiet right now, but you know Shaq Fu. I remember because I am. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I knew that would be the one. Always. <laughs> but then it says the big revelations. Shaq is coming out with comics. Then it says Snap Judgment. The black panel is entertaining as hell, but generally lacking in substance. This is a product of its open-ended Q&A style. It does lead to uh, revelations like Jamie Kennedy's confession that he turned down a role in Boogie Nights for a role in As Good As It Gets because the latter paid better. (sighs) You look at the, the the comics business as a whole, there may not be that many black people actually getting the opportunities to do stuff, but there are black folks doing stuff. You know, I mean, like, you know, Jamal Igle, you know, doing Kiss Comics for IDW. You know, Jamal got like an Inkpot Award at San Diego last year. You know what I mean? You know, it, they're, they're, we're, you know, doing stuff in comics. That's the black panel. But yet, if you look elsewhere at San Diego Comic-Con, Racebending.com did their second annual Comic-Con panel, which was like creating spaces for diverse characters and representations. And it had... um like uh, David Gaden, uh, Majori Liu, and I always, and I, I never know if I'm pronouncing her name right, and I feel bad because I never know if I get her name right. Brand- What's up, Mar- oh, what you Marjorie Liu? Marjorie Liu, Marjorie, Marjorie Liu, thank you. Um, Brandon Thomas, writer of Miranda, Mercury, and Voltron, and from TV, um, um, Javier uh, Grillo Marchaud, or, I guess I can well, I, I know who you're talking about. And, okay. and Sarah Kuhn. Uh, Sarah, Sarah Kuhn and uh, N.K. Uh, Jemison. A very diverse panel. One of the things that um, Brandon Thomas talked about was Brandon Thomas said he shared a story about his mother when he was writing for a website that asked him to include a picture of his post. His mother asked, do you really want to let everyone know you're black? And then he says, and she was right. He followed up. He said, and she, and she was right. He followed up with asking to be known as a writer first, not, not a black writer. He also spoke about the difficulty of getting his independent series Miranda Mercury off the ground being, you know, given that the protagonist is a black female. And, you know, and that's something I would think that, hey, you could talk about that in the black panel. That would make that would make sense. Well, you know, you could you could have got Brandon Thomas or better yet. 
Erica Alexander, you remember Erica Alexander, actress from Living Single. She was on the Cosby Show. Um, yeah. Her and um, Tony uh, Pure Year, they had been wanting to do a sci-fi movie for years. So they, you know, were pitching it to studios, and they were told by a studio executive that, you know, he could save them all the time by changing the race of the black characters because, as quoted, uh, as quoted, the producer said, black people don't like science fiction because they don't see themselves in the future. And then Tony Puryear pointed out the irony after both of them working with on Will Smith and Denzel Washington sci-fi projects. And the thing is, is that because of the resistance from producers, Erica Alexander and Tony Puryear decided to make Concrete Park, which is a Dark Horse you know, a series that's going to be coming out by Dark Horse. They decided to make it a comic book instead. So I'm, I'm seeing all these other things and I'm thinking, how come that wasn't like in the black panel? Yeah, I'm glad like these other things happen in other panels everywhere. That's cool. But I look at that and I look at the black panel and I look at, you know, all this other stuff. This other stuff is being talked about and the black panel is a waste. And yes, I was not there. You know, I wasn't there. So I can't say I sat in and, you know, and I observed it all. And, you know, and I can say, you know, this is how I feel. But, but, but just from the guest list alone, it's like, is Shaq and somebody from, you know, somebody from the Jeppy family and the dude from Scream? You know, Jamie Kennedy's black? <sighs> he is? Like, I don't, I was like, what was he there for? I don't know. That's one thing. I don't know. He's not in comics no. or black. <laughs> the day, like a couple days after, Michael Davis posts on Comic Mix about the panel it's called michael davis aftermath and he says and i'm reading this from the comic mix website i'm back from another san diego san diego comic-con for almost 20 years he says um i've given a party or dinner a dinner or both for nearly that long i've hosted the black panel i've had some fantastic events to be sure but i must say 2012 was my best event year ever my best party, my best dinner, and my best black panel. That, if I say so myself, is saying something. The party and my panel were reviewed by many news outlets, including Wall the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, Comic Book Resources, and the powerhouse uh, Machine... Machine... Is it Machine... or Machine? I can never say... It's like Machine and Ema. Machima. There we go. <laughs> vocabulary every year after the black panel the haters come out in force there are black people that hate the panel there are white people that hate the panel guess what i win until you haters get your own panel at comic-con throw your own party and get reviewed by some of the biggest news outlets in the world um oh, i say yeah. yeah and get reviewed by some of the biggest news outlets in the world you are more than welcome to hate me i will endeavor to what i can continue to give meaning to your small life I will continue to do great things so that you can go on the net and bitch that way. That way you feel important. And in your mind, you are. You are a legend in your own mind. I'll be happy to comment on your success if, in fact, you were successful at anything except being a legend in your own mind. So haters continue to hate because I win. Why do I win? Because you are talking about me. Who is talking about you? Now, let me state that in this statement he's made, he did not say what his panel was about. He did not mention the guests that were on it. And if I read that and not known what Entertainment Weekly had posted, I might say, well, damn, it must have been a really tight panel. But 
after reading the EW the EW article and then coming and looking at that article and then coming and looking at his uh you know his statement, I laughed my ass off. What does that panel offer right now? What does it offer? And it's not like I'm trying to hate the dude. I'm not. I'm just trying to look at it as a perspective of black people in comic books and black people in entertainment. What are we trying to do? Besides the fact that Shaq's making vanity comics, what in that panel had any depth or you know or or you know weight that's going to make me you know say, hey, these are things I need to think about, or this is what's coming up, or maybe I need to holler at these people over here, or maybe I you know I should you know take a different outlook on how I'm doing comics. None of that, none of that appears from this panel, and to me, it's a complete and utter fucking waste. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I just look at that and I just shake well, my head. I, I don't know how you could be disrespectful after someone writes something like that about themselves. Like, like I hate that kind of, not even just a different topic, but I hate that kind of attitude. That like, oh, well, if somebody thinks, someone doesn't like something I do, they must be some virgin that lives in their parents' basement who, uh, you know, sucks at everything. Like, can't someone just think you did something wrong? Like, they, they're not allowed to have an opinion? Yeah. Like, it's very clear from what you said. There was reason to be upset about that panel. Right. It didn't didn't facilitate what it was supposed to facilitate. But if anybody's critical of that, they're fucking they're worthless. Their opinion doesn't matter because they're not talking about you. Like, all right, I don't know. I see that so much. I, I, I like I understand it to a degree from some people that you know are just always you know like you got to just turn it off for people being hated on all the time for no reason like i understand that like and there's plenty of bullshit on the internet from people spouting off their mouth about stuff they probably shouldn't but like i mean if people are coming with with concerns and saying like well you know you really didn't do this thing you said you were gonna do just own up to the criticism try and be better don't tell people to fuck off like i don't know i just think it could, i could i just think that panel could be better and he may have tried to call people and people was like, you know, hey, I'm busy. Or, you know, maybe some of these people don't like Michael Davis. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I've never met them. I mean, off the top of my head, I mean, even if you're going to like, all right, not limit it to comics, I guess, but, you know, stuff in the genre. It's like, well, the RZA has a movie coming out, Kung Fu thing. Get him on the panel. Mm -hmm. Like, he reads comics, too, or at least did in the past. Right. Uh, like, uh, get... Um, there's, there's, and there, um, there's, there's a few pretty prominent like monthly black artists, like you mentioned Jamal. I think there's, uh, Carrie Randolph, right? Yeah, there's Carrie Randolph. There's Sanford Green. Yeah, there's, there's actually more now than there was in the last couple of years. That yes. could be something to talk about in comics. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. Just other, uh, fucking, um, the guy uh, does Black Dynamite. He's got his cartoon on right now. Oh, just yeah, on, on Adult Swim. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. You know anybody who's working on that show like even the white people have them come up and talk about it um like i mean i that's just me i'm not even trying <laughs> and i've gotten five six people already i mean if you wanted me to really do some research i probably could you know like trevor von eden just completed his fucking graphic novel or whatever he's been working on for you like have him up there like it might require some actual research not just oh a bunch of hollywood people here come up on the stage and talk about bullshit for an hour yeah man. like I, also a uh, fucking mf grim or whatever has got another graphic novel coming out right there you go fuck about him he, he did one he actually made a comic that he actually wrote <laughs> he didn't have he didn't go oh i want to do this and hand it off to some people he's actually trying he's actually learning the craft he didn't just do so he could have just fucking gave his story to someone else to do but he's actually trying to learn the craft like that could be something to talk about <laughs> yeah yeah and again, like I said, you didn't ask me about I didn't have to do any reading. This is just off the top of my head. I'm not even in the industry. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's... 
I don't have a fucking Rolodex that that guy has at his disposal. Like. We are at a stage where we are, we now have classic hip hop. I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell that from the radio stations. You know, it's 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 weird. I mean, like, because I've grown up in it. You know what I mean? Stuff from like the late seventies to the eighties to the nineties to the aughts to now. It's our general. Most of you know my generation. You know, the cats that are in their thirties. We've been a part of it since day one. Can't say that with like rock and roll. We can't say that. Like, I can't say that with rock and roll. I can't say that with rhythm and blues because rhythm and blues was out before I was born, you know, or jazz music. But hip hop came around when I was, you know, around when I was born. So I've been with it ever since then. So that's why it stays so close to me. Not saying that R&B doesn't because R&B does too, you know, or other forms of music. They stay close to me, but not like hip hop because hip hop, I was born in with it. I've, I've seen it from what it is what it can do, what it's become, and where it's possibly going. It's a very amazing thing to me. But yeah, The Chronic released December 15th, 1992. Yep, almost there. Yeah, so. so that means there should be a 20th anniversary edition drop. And still no detox. Sorry, I had to rub that in. <laughs> Come on, man. Quit talking about that, man. <laughs> You know I'm waiting on that album. Hey, I'm a man too, man. I, I was, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just, I think it's funny. I just think it's funny. That's, I've had it confirmed to me so many times that Dan had still enough. Like, isn't that funny that they came put two singles out and then just never talked about it again? I like, know. There were ads in the stores. Like, they had fucking, they spent money on print ads. You know, there was posters and, and uh, fucking little cards you could take home. Like, oh, come and see. Like, why would you spend all that money and then not even put the damn thing out? Like, put it out. Yeah, I mean, look, the beat on Kush was so tight, it really didn't matter what anybody was saying on it. It didn't. Plus, Nate Dogg was on the hook. And, and now he can't even sing it live. He can't even hear them do it live, ever. No, not ever. You know, yeah, Nate Dogg is, you know, passed away. He's gone. He's, you know, he's, he's gone. And, well, actually, it was Akon and Nate Dogg, but... Um, but still, the beat was so. Nate, Nate Dog was Nate Dog was really guiding the ship. I oh yeah, I, I agree fully. I agree fully. And still, I need a doctor. I need a doctor. That's just. It's more of like a story. It's literally Eminem saying, "Look, Dre, quit doubting yourself. Get your head out your ass. Come on back out here. People have been waiting for you. Great song, you know. And then look, these people are not vending machines. I understand that. And we know, you know, we know how Dre is. Dre is like a perfectionist. It's, well, the thing is with it though. The thing is, um, like Interscope. I think I don't think Interscope's paying for the. I think at some point they must have been like, "Well, this is on your own dime." At some point, like, because I can't imagine if they're still. Well, that's why the music industry has got that. It's still spending. They suck all their money into detox, and it still hasn't come out. Like this thing will never recoup. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like what, like twenty million dollar album or something, more hundred million dollar album or something at this point. Hmm. Things gonna cost more than Avatar by the time she fucking comes out. My God. Yeah, the "I Need a Doctor" single is double platinum. I, even if it is disappointing, I'd like to just you know, for my, I, I would just like to see somebody just close. Like I'd like to just see him close the book on it. You know what I mean? Like just close it and move on. You know, like that's it. You know, you got it out of you. It's done. Yeah. You know. It's, 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 Longer, the longer you wait, the more scrutinized it's gonna be. Yeah, and I mean, like, and like, like I said before. I know, like, you know, Dr. Dre isn't a vending machine. Lauren Hill isn't a vending machine. You know what I mean? Tribe Called Quest, they're not vending machines. 
as much as I would like to hear new material from them, it's on them. And one day this stuff will come out and I'll get it and it will either be wonderful to me or it may not. I don't know. And it won't know until. Well, see, the difference, though, with Trey thing is it's not like Tribe Quest is like we have an album we made and we're just never putting it out. Like they're just like we're not talking to each other really anymore. Right. We're not making music. Like Q-Tip's got his own albums coming out and stuff, which are really good. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not like Lauren Hill is like I have I've been working on an album for 15 years. Like she hasn't to my knowledge said anything about any more music but you know it'd be nice if she did but like dre is like for 10 years now saying i have an album coming out and it's not put it out and it's there and they keep teasing you with it but they don't give it that's a difference to me Joy came at me a while ago via Twitter and was like, listen, if you ever talk about uh, MCA and the Beastie Boys, let me know. I want to be down and we can talk about it. And I was like, yeah, I got a spot for you. You know, it's, it's not a thing because, you know, we haven't really talked about the Beasties in like heavy rotation on this podcast. And, you know, and, 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 you know, and Adam, Yow- and Adam Yauk, a.k.a. MCA, passed away a while ago. And um, and I know you had some thoughts on MCA and you had thoughts on the Beastie Boys. And I wanted to give you, you know, some time to speak on that. So, um, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you the floor and we can talk about that for a bit. All right. Well, I'm obviously not as, you know, I have had a lot more thoughts when I first asked you. You know, obviously a lot of time passed between then and now. But it, it was... It, to me, it was it was a big it was something I didn't even realize. Like, again, I've always been a big Beastie Boys fan, but I think they're kind of a group a lot of people take for granted. Like, look at the album they released last year. Like, that really should have been a big deal. And like, I thought that, like that's some of the best production you've heard on a record in a long time. Like, they really take their time. They don't just release crap, and they release a lot of different. People probably don't even know they released um, like a kind of proto jazz kind of album in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, people probably don't even know that that even came out. Like I'm just saying, like you know, they're they do did so many different things. They never limited themselves, and I always feel like they always put out quality. They never like half-assed what they did. Sometimes they did things that I wasn't like a huge fan of, like right. but like you know, but all the time I can always say, you know, that's that's their like they're just doing their thing. They're nobody's nobody's holding tell like you know holding their hand, telling them they have to do this. They just make whatever they want to make, and I always found that really refreshing. Um, and then I just really thought, you know, after. Like after MCA died, I, I never got to see the Beasties live, which and I guess I never will. Um, that I'm kind of sad about. But yeah, same here. It's like, and I had a few opportunities, but it just never worked out. But like, I kind of never realized how, especially that week. Like after MCA, died, I did nothing but I listened to just Beasties, whatever, for like the next couple of weeks. And I'm from New York, and I kind of like again. I even took that for granted. Like how they're maybe one of the most important like New York acts ever. Like to again, walking through again when I was walking to like New York City and I heard people fucking like were playing, you know, everyone was playing Beastie Boys and like it really, I forgot like how much they're kind of embedded in my identity and just the identity of where I live. Even though I live on Long Island, I'm still still in New York. I still go in the city all the time. It's like, but they they were just they they may be as important as like Sinatra was important like to New York, like especially for this generation. Like there are little kids that grew up on fucking like you know. <laughs> like brass monkey and shit which is kind of funny when you think about it like i was singing that song as a little kid i don't know what the fuck it was about like every again every era they've always managed to find a way 
to imprint something even if it's an album like the, like the 2004 album um that didn't really make a huge impression you still got two really strong songs that people still play and it's like i, I never feel like i always feel like they have if they ever put anything out it always it always left a mark you know wait a minute is the 2004 album you talking about to the five boroughs yes i love that album it's a good album, but you know it got like swept under the rug, kind of like no one really talked about it much after that initial thing. And you know they really did. Again, I fucking can't stand David Letterman, but I watched Letterman for their performance where they fucking came in from the. They basically recreated their music video. Uh-huh. Check it out, like, and yeah. they came in. Look it up on YouTube. It's amazing. It's amazing they pulled it off. Um, they came out because you ever know that music video, right, where they're running down the New York streets, yeah. like yelling at the camera. They recreated that basically to where. They started on the streets and then ended on the stage in, in Letterman, and they did that all on TV and it was perfect. Like every night, like and then who's done that? Like and they just did that. That was just fucking probably shits and giggles, something they thought to do that day. Yeah, you know. And I don't know. I think I, I get a little emotional talking about I, it. I think I think that album got swept under the rug for a couple for a couple of reasons. One, yeah, they've got some just straight up raw hip hip hop tracks on there, which is great. But like a lot, not shouldn't say a lot, but some you know Beastie Boy listeners were probably upset with the fact that also that album has you know political undertones to it too. Like they are expressing the they were expressing at the time their their beef with you know with the you know with the president at that time, which was George W. Bush, and and a lot of I know because like I have a lot of I have a lot of friends who are Beastie Boys fans that were upset that they were talking about stuff like that on a Beastie Boy record and I'm but like but they always talk about politics yeah they always stuff. talk about politics they always they always have they've always talked about well no, I shouldn't say always but you know because like you well, know, you know. Uh, post post Def Jam post Def Jam thank you post Def Jam they, you know, they, they got into things like you know politics and whatnot. and but for some I know for some of my friends that did not resonate well with them and they literally bypassed the album and they just or they listened to it once and they never listened to it again and i'm like you know what it's like yo you have your opinion you know because like when it comes to politics normally i just stay out of it because of like a lot of people you can't talk politics with anymore you know what i mean it's just i don't even say sometimes i'm like even if i agree i kind of get sick of hearing about it sometimes yes. but you know I can I can understand that. Right. You, you, you know, I mean, like I said, I, you know, if you're respectful with me, I'm respectful with you when it comes to like talking, you know, politics and stuff like that. But for the most part, I don't really talk. I don't talk about them in public too much. But um, but for like a lot for a lot of my friends, for some of my friends, not a lot, but some of my friends, they listen to that album one time and they never listen to it again. And I'm like, you're really missing out. Because there's some great, great songs on there, whether it be, you know, Check It Out or Triple Trouble or um, Triple Trouble was real tight, too. It's like, you know, they took they took fucking Rapper's Delight and like just like blew it up. And well, that was like their three MCs and one DJ for the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Kind. Yes. And it was, it was tight as hell. And the video was silly. Um, and there's some other songs on it, too, like with the Five Burrows. That was, you know, that the Five Burrows song, the Five Burrows song was oh, open letter, open letter in New York City. Thank you. Yes. That that it was a great song, too. A lot of great songs on that album. So, yeah, people slept on that one. And then they had that all music, you know, the all musical album a few years. Mix after up. That. The mix, mix up. up. Mix up was tight. And I like their last album. And the thing is, but Hot Sauce Committee Part Two, like to me, that. When I really, really listen to it, take and just listen to the whole thing. Go drive around, you know, me, you know, the album's like an hour long. Find a trip that's an hour, just blast that the whole way. Like, that might be one of their best. It's like the culmination of everything they've done. Mm. 
and while still remaining very relevant and like while still stepping up their game and stuff like some of the tracks in there are nuts like if it's trying to have that track with nas that's like the best thing nas has done in, in ages yeah like that one verse he had on that song is great <laughs> and it's like again i'm not knocking him i like some of his stuff now too but i'm just saying like that it was like, I don't know, just it brought the best out of everybody, I thought. And there was a lot of, like again, like a lot of B stuff. There's always a lot of hoopla when it first comes out, but then it doesn't, you know, by the end of the year-end list, nobody talks about it anymore. But I'm like, this is good shit. Mm-hmm. Another thing I love about the Beast Boys, too, is they were a hardcore band first. And, um, like, that, I'm, I'm, like, I love hip-hop, and I love, I love hardcore, I love metal, I love, I love all kinds of music. But, like, the fact that they were, they were a New York hardcore band, and then they were... A hip then they were a jock rock hip-hop band and then they were kind of like the best you know the probably the best in hip-hop bag after that really pushing the envelope yeah and and i, I don't know the fact that they they continually and they've done jazz records and they've done they've done and they've even revisited the hardcore stuff i love the uglio eolio ep and like the, you know i, I mean and they, they re-released some old bullshit after some they, they well they re-released their first record as some old bullshit in the 90s which is great too has one of the best punk rock songs ever uh a great mojo um, so I mean, like they mastered like several kinds of music, and they've always—it's always just been them. It still sounds like the Beastie Boys, you know. I don't know. It's just—I think it's a shame, and I think—I think especially um, MCA. Like, I mean, all accounts, I know people that have hung out with him and shit. Like, he's a pretty—he was a pretty cool guy. Like, he just—you know—no, no ego, no anything. He doesn't carry an entourage. He just—he would just go out and look at young bands play, like local bands playing and shit like that, and like. I don't know, he was just, all accounts, he was just a cool dude from all I've heard, so. And he also shouted out the cable guy on that track, on that, which I always love, because that's one of my favorite <laughs> most people don't like, but he threw it, so it's, it's immortalized forever yeah. in a Beasties track, and a hot Beasties track at that. No, and he was, wasn't he also uh, Nathaniel Hornblower? Yes, he had a great career as a director, too. Yeah. Um, you know, he got, he put, got the Beasties in the Criterion Collection. Yeah, dude. Yeah. How do you get how do you get a criterion collection of Beastie of Boys music, music videos. videos? That's nuts. And and I'm salty because I had that and somebody stole it. You can still I can get you a color copy. Okay, like, cool. I, yeah. Yeah, man. I cuz I, I loved it. Maybe yeah. I'll get maybe I'll get the Blu-ray treatment now. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, possibly. That would be that would be great. It's yeah. another thing too. Beasties fucking were ahead of their time in that too. Like that that collection, like the way they structured that, where like you can watch every video and they had it tuned to each remix too, mm-hmm. and they would like that's that was crazy. And then they did, uh, you know, that they had that DVD come out a couple of years ago, on um, the Hey I Shot That, that was one like yeah, they were just like real again, like even in that, even in that again, even conquered the music again. You're not even talking about the music videos, like I mean again, like all the Spike Jones stuff. They put Spike Jones on the mat. These were like. One of the few cats, like you said, they would put out an album when they n- knew the time was right for them to put out an album. They they never forced forced an album upon anybody, and so for me, all their albums are quality because of that. You know, you have a lot of acts now that literally drop an album once a year because their one album is not sustainable, which is kind of sad. You know, it used to be the business trend as far as the trend of business and making a record. You made that record, and the goal was to spin that record as long as possible. Um, some artists can still spin a record as long as possible, but they do it in different ways. They'll take that same album, and then they'll like make like a new edition of it and release it six months later, and then a new, new, new edition of it and release it an additional six months later. Like. Katy Perry's Teenage Dream album has three different releases. 
three. That's a lot of UPC codes. Yes. Yes, it is. Which is crazy. I mean, granted, that album has been very successful for her, you, you know. You know, but then again, you look at somebody like Adele, 21 has sold 22 million copies, and there's only been one release. Going back to the OBC Boys things, they, they, they cut records when they, you know, n- when they knew they had to cut some records to make. When they felt the music, that's when they made the music, and that's what I always loved. And, um, and you know, they, and they also did tracks on other, on other people's albums. A lot of, I mean, yeah, they didn't show up everywhere. But like you know, Mike D might show up on the uh, Handsome Boy Modeling School album, or Ad Rock and Mike D. They showed up on De La Soul's uh, Artificial Intelligence uh, Volume One. They showed up on Stomp. Fucking love that song. It's like De La and the Beasties. I'm like, how can I fucking go wrong with this? You can't. You cannot. So, I mean, stuff like that was awesome. Or, or Betty, remember when DJ Hurricane? Had his own solo record, yeah. And um, but the first single was called "Stick 'Em Up," and it was on the CB. Was it the CB4 soundtrack? Uh, yeah, I think it was a CB4 soundtrack. I think. And Ad Rock showed up on that, you know, to give the, to give the song cred. But I mean, yeah, I mean, like I, I never really heard MCA on, on anybody other's records. But I mean, but still, that, that's not the point. But you know, the I think they did that. they did a song with um, Anthrax, I think too. Okay, okay. Down barrel of a gun, I think that was the. Uh, I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna double check and look that up. I think it was like they didn't announce they were on it. Like it was just like you know, it was almost like secret things if you knew they were on oh, it. Kind of okay, thing. I got you. I got you. No, but I mean, it's cool. I mean, it's like, and the thing is, for me, I didn't really get the Beastie Boys. I think until I was like in my twenties, because when I was in my teens, like kids in my school were like trying to force it on me. Because it's like, hey, you're black, you like hip hop, you need to like these white dudes that do rap. And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, I just, I was like, no, it's this, you know, don't push it on me like that. I was like, you know what, I'll listen to it when I feel like it. And, but then when I got in my 20s, like the first Beastie Boy album I remember hearing was Check Your Head. That's the first time I remember listening to. Which, which is my uh, which is my favorite record of theirs. Yeah, you know, I you know that was the first time I listened to. I listened to Check Your Actually, Head. Actually, no, wait, wait, I might have to give it to Paul's Boutique, but oh, okay. they're, close. they're close. All right. Um, I listened to that album. I was like, yeah, okay, these cats are dope. Okay, what else do they have? And I remember, you know, you know, in my previous years, yeah, I knew about Paul's Boutique. Yeah, I knew about License to Ill. But now I could go back and listen to those albums. And I was like, okay, I get it. Cool awesome all right i'm I'm good i'm like i really like these dudes ill communication dropped i fucking love ill communication you, you know what i mean i mean just i love their whole catalog nothing ever really disappointed me i think they're they're like a fine wine kind of thing better with age i think and, and there, there was a lot of i remember a lot of like hip-hop kids i remember in like when i when i was growing up that didn't like bc's at all it was like, oh, that's, that's, that's crap. You know, like that's, you know, and I was always like, well, no, I mean, they're really, I mean, they're doing really good stuff. Like I wouldn't think just because rock stations play them, you should not listen to them. Right. And I'm sure those, I'm sure, but again, at the time, I'm sure they're not listening to fucking PD Pablo ever again or whatever the fuck, you know, was the big deal at that moment. But I'm just saying, I, they might be checking out Beast. They might be going back to, maybe maybe they're in hip hop now and they're going back to listen to Paul's Boutique and be like, wow, no one will ever produce a record like that ever again. Like no. just, amazed at what they did like i mean even if you don't like their rap just the production was amazing but again i think even the rap i mean there's i think there's few guys that had as distinct a style as they did 
Yeah. Or just feel like they can walk in and throw out great shit. Like, no, like it was effortless, which it probably wasn't. But it has that feel. And, like, that's some of the best hip-hop stuff is when it just sounds like they walked in and did it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no. I, shoot, you, you'll hear no complaints out of me. None <laughs> whatsoever. None. What are, you, what are your, some of your, like, favorite tr- Beasties tracks? Deep uh, cut, singles, otherwise. Whatever. Yo, some of, like, the B-side stuff, uh, the Body Moving, uh, Fat Boy Slim remix. I, I love that. I mean, I love the original Body Moving, but the Fat Boy Slim Body Moving remix was tight. I have, I still have. Will some... you go back to the original Body Moving after listening to the Fat Boy Slim mix? Doesn't the first one sound like downright evil? Yes. <laughs> it's like where it didn't originally, and I'm just like, wow, this sounds like a demonic track almost. It, but it, it's, it's it's fucking awesome though. Great. Um, like, I have um, I actually still have it. It's a, a vinyl, it's the single, it's a vinyl, a vinyl single of Intergalactic. And I wanted it for the instrumental because as much as I love Intergalactic, I love the instrumental even more. The lyrics on Intergalactic are amazing, but just the music itself, the beat for Intergalactic just pounds. And I love that because like a lot of people didn't like Hello Nasty, but I fucking love that album. But like, I think nine singles on it would you know seem to say otherwise. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> From Ill Communication, and I want to say Ill Communication was uh, that had Get It Together with well, I was gonna say, Q-Tip. I love Q-Tip, one of my favorite MCs ever. But my favorite thing he's ever done is on that track. That is my favorite Q-Tip anything is on Get It Together. Again, it has an effortless thing to it. I just love that. Like, just I just I just love how that track keeps stopping. Yeah, and it'll just like make some noises and I'll go back and like I I I love that fucking song. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's his classic. Pass the mic. Oh, oh my god that song was just raw there, there's also like the classics I mean like you know Paul Revere the bass line itself sells the song you don't even have to listen to the lyrics the bass line itself sold that song okay that was their tr- that was like their track like where people fought, like you know a lot of a lot of like you know re- like back then like hip hop guys that didn't didn't accept them at first that was a track where they were like alright there's something going on here was the I was always here is like Paul Revere was the one mm-hmm. where people finally like turned their heads and were like okay this is this is this is good shit yeah oh, oh yeah I mean you know my for your right might have turned a bunch of people off but you go back and listen to Paul Revere it's like oh they had it back then even like oh, oh, yeah. oh no question no question I mean and I I love when you know when they did like the albums later like after Paul's Boutique where you just you know you listen to the record and they'll just bust out a set and it's just like instrumental. I wish there were more bands in hip hop. There's the Roots. For me, it was like the Roots and Beast and the Beastie Boys. Yes, there are probably other bands, but you have to really look hard for those other bands. I always count on the Roots to give me something great. I can always count on the Beasties to give me something great. And they were actual bands. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with with like an MC and a dude with two turntables and, you know, and a mic. There's nothing wrong with that either, but... There's a different energy to it, though, when yeah. there's the instruments. Oh, I don't yeah. know. It just sounds, I don't know. Something about it. Can't quite explain it, but there's... I don't know. There's a different sense of urgency about that. Mm-hmm. Even if it's slow stuff, it's like it's... I don't know. It feels different. Say, like my, my favorite BC's track ever is Gratitude, because I love the guitar and the bass on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's just like a... That's a great track. Um, I said, like I mentioned Get It Together. I love Get It Together. That's my song. If I feel like shit, I'll put that on. I'll usually feel a lot better. After that, I really like remote control. Yeah. The hell up. See, yes. I'm trying to think. What's uh, what's the name of this? It's uh, it's another ill communication. Oh God, it's it's sure the so? uh, yep. There you go. 
guess the uh, taking of the Pelham one two three uh, reference. Uh, that was I was I was gonna say if I couldn't figure out the name. Uh, yeah, that 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 yeah that and pass the mic. Those are kind of like cousins to me. Hmm. Like that that that's their respective track like that off each of those records. Um, I was trying to think what else. Like I I, I, like, I mentioned A grade on Mojo before. I guess they're best of their hardcore stuff. <laughs> Nervous Assistant off Algeolio. That's another good one. I know all of Paul's boutique. I think is Shadrock and like um, oh, Root yeah. Down. Root Down is is another favorite. Did you ever get the Root Down EP? I got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know I had it. it was the- <laughs> no, no, I know. I'm just saying because they had like so many different versions of Root Down. Root Down on it. I, I think I, that I, was. I think that was the first. Um, when I was a kid, of like the first like EP I got for that and listened to all the different versions because I was never. I think my my age was the last age of like CD singles and EPs and stuff like that. That kind of got phased out. It seems after that. Um, but yeah, I remember the root, root down was a big deal. I always had a cool cover. It looked like a Miles Davis cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I remember a, another song, another Beastie Beastie Boy song I liked. It was on that um. That you know, basically, it's kind of like a greatest hits. It's like a Beastie Boys compendium. Um, oh, uh, that's uh, the sounds of science. Sounds of science, alive. Yes, yeah, right. Just for that, alive is a wonderful, wonderful hip hop track. It's a wonderful song. Period. Because like, and MCA closed it out. They didn't need again. They had done um, like, uh, Hell and Nasty was a year or two before that. Because that came out at the end of '99. That that big box set. Um, but they only released Alive, and that was their only new material for years. But it was enough. Like that one track, they just said everything they needed to say about anything, and it was like, I know, I know, like after I think after nine eleven, there was a, they put a track out that was just online, I think. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like they didn't have any other music, which for like a six year period. But Alive was so good, like it was just like. That was enough. That satiated people for a long time. Yeah. I think enough that people actually bought the the greatest on the strength of just that track. Like even if they had all the shit on, it, it was like, why did I gotta get alive? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I bought it. I oh well, see. Also, I bought the Sounds of Science. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We say. I said that's a great collection. There's a lot of rare stuff, like cool rare stuff that you actually want to hear on there. Like Country Mike. Yes, Country Mike. Uh, the the thing, the one of the main reasons I bought the Sounds of Science was because the original Beastie Boys stuff like Paul's Boutique and the License to Ill album, when those CDs came out, they weren't mastered properly. You know, they come in real low. If you put them in on your iPod or whatever, or if you play them in a nice sound system, they don't. They come out real low. Whereas on the Sounds of Science, a lot of stuff was remastered, so it has more warmth behind it. There's more sound behind it, and it's powerful. Was, Have you got the Paul's Boutique remaster that came out? The, the, the deluxe edition? Oh, I didn't get it, dude. I want Gotta it. get that. Oh, God. Booklet inside about how they made it is, is worth the price of admission alone. Damn it. <laughs> it's still available, man. <laughs> no, I know, I know, man, but it's like I gotta put that on my list of all the other, other stuff I want to get, and it's like, I'm, I'm running out of room. Um, You know, and I got rid of stuff, but I'm running out of room. Like, a lot of people called them, like, you know, the hip-hop, you know, Rolling Stones, and and stuff like that but to me they transcend further than the stones because i didn't grow up with the stones you know what i mean i i grew up in the era of the beasties you know what i mean so i got to see you know you got to see i got to see the transition from how it started to how it you know to where it started you know where it hit that super duper peak and and everything else we saw it all so it resonates stronger with us you know, it's sad because like, you know, there are not going to be any more Beastie Boy albums. You know what I mean? You know, and 
And how could you have a Beastie Boy album without MCA on it? You know what I mean? It just it wouldn't it wouldn't feel right. There might be more stuff, but it will never be the same. I guess you right, won't have right, right. it won't be the playing off three. You know, but I wouldn't be surprised if like um, if like Ad Rock puts another solo thing out, like the was Ad Rock two thousand thing. He was like like I mean you'll probably hear more music from the remaining members, but it'll never it'll never be that again. And I hope they I hope they continue to make more music, but it's just. But at the same time, I have to tell myself that I should appreciate the fact that we got as much music from the Beastie Boys as we did. I mean, it's like a tome of music. You know what I mean? Now think about it. How many artists in our lifetime can you say gave you so much music that you can replay for the rest of your life? Very few. So, you know, I mean, I've got a few on my list. I could say I could literally play almost every album. But that's a whole other podcast. But but yeah, they gave you a compendium of music that um that was incredible. Even though for it's like hip hop stuff, like I think you know as much as we all love it, I think we would never really say like there's there's not a lot of great albums. You know, there's a lot of great songs, but you know just full albums and catalogs. Mm-hmm. But the beat that's a full album catalog. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh yeah. I don't know. I can't even think of a lot. You know, there's a lot of other. You know, like. I have to go back a ways, you know. Like I, I think there's a few artists now that do that can do a full full hip hop album. That's great, but not a lot. It's great songs, but I don't know about a great album, you know. Right. Well, you know, the eras of the the complete album from artists, as far as mainstream artists go, it's pretty much it's. Now I'm not saying it's dead. It's but it kind of is because they built themselves around a singles you know like some artists built themselves around a singles market a singles market and a ringtone market because people forget for a while ringtone rapping was real popular and by ringtone rapping i mean your song was a ringtone that was available for sale before kids got smart and realized they can make their own ringtones by just ripping your song off of a cd and converting it but i'm kind of happy that trend died though like i kind of hated hearing that like um like it didn't sound right. It sounded like someone screaming. Like on, the, like it, it was the weirdest ring. Like I don't know how. Like I think someone was attacking me. Not somebody was calling me on the phone. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. It sounded so loud and like oh, there was so oh my god, terrible. Well, we'll, see, we'll see. What one of the worst mentions of the. <laughs> yeah. Was, well, a few years ago. Oh, sorry, a man. fucking ring. All right. It should <laughs> ring, ring, ring. A phone should ring. And also, people shouldn't be talking on their. People shouldn't be watching movies on their phones and shit. But that's another whole. <laughs> phone should be. You should pick up, dial the number, talk to somebody, hang up the phone. <laughs> that's what a cell phone should do. It should go ring, ring, ring when you're fucking gonna pick it up. Hello, hang up. That's it. It shouldn't fucking be dialing messages to space and fucking whatever, doing your tax return on your fucking cell phone. Got people fucking texting on whether driving, crashing cars. Fucking just talk to the person on the fucking phone. Come on. I can't believe more people text than actually talk on their cell phone. Whoever created texting, by the way, is a genius. That he knew people would be that stupid. That they like, I'd rather sit and type out words and like pay me by the. I have to pay by the word as opposed to just talking to the person on my plan, which is covered for the month. Well, you, you got to understand when they first started, when they when when the whole text messaging thing was originally created, text messaging was created as a as a way to soften 
users from using all the, all you know all the available you know air you know line space and airspace because so many people were on cell phones that lines were getting clogged up and it was just you know and they wanted to ease up ease that up so they said let's cre- you know the dude, somebody created text messaging and they had added it on the phones so it was supposed it was supposed to ease up the number of calls that were going through well what ended up happening was was that texting became very popular so what do the phone you know so what do these cell phone companies do these providers do oh Wow, you know, people are making a lot of texts. You know, we need to charge for this shit. And then that's how texting became such a big profitable business for phone companies. When originally it was just something that was supposed to help offset offset a business problem. Staring into the abyss though is watching two people text each other while sitting next to each other. No, I see that that shit's sad. I'm like, if you're right, I thought that I thought two people talking on the cell phone to each other that were sitting across it was bad enough but the texting one i thought i took it to a new yeah that was a new level yeah that's some crazy shit right there i'm like if you're right next to me and if i can't turn to you and say hey hey or yo you know just talk to you there's really a problem Before we bounce, um, Joey, can you tell the people where they can get your podcast, The Chemical Box, and uh, where else they can find you on the internet? All right. um, The Chemical Box is actually back after a long long absence because I had no computer. Um, I think I was on your show the last time we had an episode, I think. (laughs) That's how long ago it was. And uh, but yeah, we actually got two out now. By the time this episode comes out, there'll probably be another two. Um, it, it you can find it at thechemicalbox.blogspot.com. Um, subscribe to it in iTunes. Um, it's you know it's a comic show, I guess. You know we talked we've uh, this last week we talked about some San Diego announcements, uh, some similar topics that we touched on here too. So it's a uh, you know if you like this, you probably uh, hopefully would like that. Um, and uh, you know, I'm also on Twitter at uh, malpractice one. And um, that's about all I think for there. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not as prolific on the internet as I used to be. I don't think. Oh, it's all right, man. Sometimes you just gotta take a break, dog. Yeah. Thank you for making me reminisce about the Space Jam soundtrack. I'm putting that on my iPod after this call is over. And if you think I'm playing, I am not. I'm being right after. Right after you hang up your stolen movie poster. <laughs> yes. Yes. I still cannot believe. Folks took them off of buses. Yup. Are you fucking? You know, that, if that ain't that ain't easy, you got to get a scraper. And like by the time you got it off, it probably was a waste. You probably destroyed it. But I don't know. People were dedicated at the time, I guess. I mean, that's work. Think about it. That's work. Folks had to like a bus station when they were like at night, and like, how are you going to do it? The buses are always moving. I mean, this I'm talking about Space Jam posters, dog. Space Jam posters. Space Jam posters. Not not like. You know, pre-hype Star Wars Episode One posters. No, folks still in Space Jam posters. That is absolutely fucking insane. Who, think about it. Dude, it's 2012. Who in their right mind back in 90-whatever would steal a Space Jam poster? Hello? <laughs> I was about to say. Like, you got I didn't know how to respond. Like, like you were like, I was getting fucking uh, questioned or something. No, no, no. I, I would steal. <laughs> I wouldn't try to come at you like Sam Waterston in Law and Order or anything like that. I was just like, 
did I lose Joey? Fuck. Oh, that's hilarious, man. No, no, no. It's just it's just weird. I mean, but that's how big that phenomenon was. And now I'm I'm for real. I'm going to put that on my iPod tonight. I'm going to put that on the iPod as soon as we get done with this. But uh, but no, man, Joey, thanks so much for being on the show, man. And um, when we do, you know, we're going to do movie month again. And uh, once we get everything settled out, we will definitely get you back on the PKD Black Box. So thank you for your time, brother. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Anytime. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at hhwlod.com and is also available via iTunes. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard. comic book movies were more fun when they were awful like i think it was more fun to go see them yeah it's just like find the one redeeming thing in it you know be like well they got that part right you know no so, they got like, no parts yeah, right like, yeah like like just like again like fuck, like oh you know this like the steel movie here there's a character that's supposed to be like barbara gordon as oracle in it or something right uh if you want to say call, they don't call her that but that's who the character was supposed to be but like something like that you're like oh like at that point they had never been a barbara gordon other than you know in, as oracle on film like oh you know it was nice to see that. like that's the shit you used to say it's like oh well it was nice to see that right. you know like <laughs> it was awful but it was nice to see that yeah. and now like there's so many that are i don't even say there's a lot of great con there's a lot of mediocre ones that like you know are good i guess but there's not a whole lot of great ones but you get you get so used to that it's like i don't want to see any of this shit anymore but at least back then it was like I don't know. I think it's more fun to see like an awful one. I think. I think that it is to see an okay one. You know. Yeah, to a point. More memorable. You're still talking about it. Like, is anyone gonna talk about fucking the shitty Edward Norton Hulk movie? No, no one's ever bringing that up again. Ooh. Like, the people will be talking about that Steel movie for years to come. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that still movie is so bad. It's like the Judd was Judd Nelson hard up for money when he took that role. Was he a villain in the movie? Yes. And I have to see it. <laughs> I have to see it. <laughs> we didn't we didn't say we're gonna cause sometimes you're like, oh we're gonna do this and you wait so long by the time you talk about it, you don't give a shit about it. Right, anymore. right, right. Yeah. It, I was a little worried about the uh, about the BC West thing because I was like, oh wow, I wasn't even like prepared to talk, but it came out eventually, you yeah, know. Yeah. I had to just get in the mode of talking about it. Um, but it was like this. Yeah, like I didn't know we were gonna talk about. It. I didn't know I knew so much about Space Jam. <laughs> yeah. yeah, neither did I. I was like, well, I'm kind of that. That makes me kind of look. I don't have to look at myself in the mirror the same way anymore after that. But uh, we'll see. It, it's okay, oh, man. <laughs> I'm just joking. You, you, you told America and the world well, when it comes out. You went to the movies three times to see it. <laughs> You know, I ain't mad at you. I'm like, hell, well, how old was you, like, 11? Most, most stolen poster, uh, movie poster in history, Space Jam poster. What, the one with the Jordan's face on one side and Bugs on the other? Um, I don't know if it's that one or the one that announced something was coming or whatever. Oh, okay. They had all the bu- like, kids were ripping them off of buses. That's fucking insane. To insert that back into the conversation. <laughs> That is fucking insane. Wow. Wow. Um, 
Let's see. I don't know if it speaks well for their target audience, though. Yeah. <laughs> would, it, would it be me if I didn't just sneak a little, a little, a little bit of a bad joke there at the end? There you go. Dude, it's look, Joey. Uh, what, <laughs> Joey, come on, man. Come on. As long as you laugh, it's okay. <laughs> it's all good, champ. It's all good.